We're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I'm your co-host, Mike One, co-host also Mike on the line as well. Mike, introduce our third co-host as we have a smackdown of Mania's proportions today. Yes, uh, Scott Yeager of Challenge Mania. He is back for Sagmania 2. And Scott, like this Twitter bromance has blossomed into a full second year. So welcome back, man. You've had an awesome year on the podcast. Challenge Mania Live is just taking off world tour it's at, when's the world tour going out oh well we are definitely hitting the ground running in 2023 <laughs> trying to do as much as possible after still making up for lost time after having sat at home for 18 months or something like that between 2020 and 2021 but this mm. is one of my if not my favorite podcasts to do every year i know this is only the second one but i've i've been eagerly awaiting it uh big fan of the show love the show love that i've you know been able to add some perspective to one specific topic being that i'm in sag vote for the sag awards and as if like you know god is watching and listening to our silly little endeavor and said how can we add a little bit of more insight for scott going into Sagmania part two i was randomly selected to be one of 2500 members of the nominating committee this year so i have some added insight now that we do know the nominees for sag and things like that so i am i am well prepared to come and bring something to the fold it is not just due to a bromance that i'm here (laughs) on mike mike and oscar today i actually have some solid thought and rhetoric here for you listeners uh but thank you guys for having me really appreciate it well, thank you for coming on once again. And yeah, a qualified professional you are. I'm wondering how, when you've been going with the Challenge Mania and you have been doing this kind of nationwide tour, you've really blown that thing out. It's been wildly impressive. I was telling you, I was lauding praise on you in the pre-show about it. But how has that affected you being a member of SAC? How has that affected your movie watching? Are you getting more done because you're traveling so much? Are you getting less done because you have so much logistic stuff to do with Challenge Mania? How's that uh, been shaping up for you? Well, ironically, it worked out almost better this year because you mentioned I'm a a glutton for travel punishment. I'm far from the amount of travel that would actually be too grueling for me because being a fan of you know stand-up comedy and wrestling and rock and roll and all these industries where you're just like a vagabond in a tour bus on a plane whatever the ideas of tra- the idea of traveling and like doing so like you know with a tight little suitcase and like moving through uh, TSA quickly like uh, George Clooney and up in the air which is like one of my favorite movies like mm. I love that that's like part of the fun for me uh, but you mentioned like you know other than being able to watch movies on planes which is a lot of people's favorite time to watch movies yeah it did cut into my in one way being able to go to the theater to see movies in the theater for the now pretty short window that they're out however you know and and just to walk people through the logistics you know by being a member of sag every year you get to vote for the awards themselves but however you don't get the screeners and until the nominees are set so for instance now that the nominees are out that's when the whatever it is half a million members of SAG will start to get DVDs in the mail screener links and be able to watch the I don't know whatever it is 15 to 20 movies that are up for the awards and that's what you're limited to so if you missed some of the movies that didn't get nominated here like for instance uh, what's an example of a movie that got blanked but like Top Gun Maverick right Uh, Mm -hmm. well I guess it, it got stunt so you might get that but like if there's a movie that got blanked and you missed it in theaters, you know, you might not get that. And if you're getting it, you're getting it pretty late in the cycle. Like a lot the Golden Globes have already happened, things like that. 
by being on the nominating committee this year, which again is random, although it's like, you know, I, I almost like secretly hope and think that they like saw how many events I was going to over the years and how many screeners I was actually <laughs> watching. Cause if it is completely random, like they have to sometimes select people who are just like, yeah, sure. I'll do it and watch no movies. And they just like pick based on like their favorite color. Uh, so like, you know, I mean, it's true. So like they kind of lucked out and that I take this very seriously. I'm a huge fan of your guys' podcast. I'm a huge fan of following the, the yearly cycle and narratives of who's up for these awards, you know, who can be like, you know, a late season breaking story, things like that. So it's in my wheelhouse anyway. So when I got, you know, to, you know, honored by being on that nominating committee, I decided, hey, I'm going to take this very seriously and try to watch as many of the films as I can, which would be hard to do if what being on the nominating committee, you know, came with, if this wasn't the case, they send you pretty much every single screener on either nice. DVD or digital well in advance. So they're trying to get them to us with enough time to get our ballot in by the deadline, which was January uh, 8th or something like that. So for instance, now what's weird is that I now am fully caught up and have seen pretty much everything about a month and a half earlier than I normally do in a given year. So like cool. now some of the fun of like who I'm going to vote for is kind of like out the window because I put so much thought into my ballot, which is, you know, what's cool is that instead of just picking one winner, I got to pick five in every category, which is really cool. And you get a little bit into the inside of who's up for uh, like only certain performances are eligible. You know, when it comes to supporting performances, you wonder, it's mm -hmm. like, is anyone in any movie eligible? No, not not the case. Like your studio and the film has to kind of submit you. But I went through and I looked through and saw every single performance and I was delighted to see that Kevin Nash it was eligible to be voted for in the movie Dog with Channing Tatum. I did not vote for Big Sexy, but that's just an example. So um, I will say that I managed to watch every single movie that you would probably want to or think about considering this year. However, could I have done that without the assistance of all the screeners with the amount of traveling and stuff I'm doing? Absolutely not. Would have been impossible because some of these movies are, and I live in New York, so I'm lucky. So like Tar did play here for six weeks. But right. like, I mean, if you live in Cleveland, like good luck seeing, right. you know, good luck seeing the whale in Cleveland, you know? So, so I, I lucked out this year. I managed to make it to about, I would say 10 in-person screenings and, and talks. And then the rest I watched either on, on my computer on the screener or I pull it up on my Apple TV or I would throw the DVD in. Well, I'm thrilled they hooked you up uh, with yeah. all the screeners and that and that, that you got to everything uh, on the road. That, that that sounds like a dream. You know, look, at, I'm also curious about if there's any like communication. Like, does this nominating committee have convene? Like, some, <laughs> yeah, do you convene at all? Because I wish, I really wish. Yeah. You know, this has been a, a, a an award show in flux. I mean, they've been on Turner Broadcasting for years, TBS and TNT. They just got bought like the broadcast rights the day before the nominations were announced by Netflix, but obviously there's not enough time to get that broadcast together for Netflix. So they're putting it on Netflix's YouTube channel this year and that's it. So I'm very curious uh, to, to hear what you think, or if you talk to anybody else in the committee there in the convening of the committee, uh, what do they think about this Netflix SAG Alliance now? Well, I'll say this. Sadly, there is no convening. There's no interacting with the other members of the committee. You do not even get to know who's on it or in it. Um, as I mentioned, SAG is a, is a massive uh, union and organization where people live all over the country. I almost feel bad for the people who don't live in either New York or L.A. because a lot of the in-person events and real perks of being on the committee are, are in those two cities, like, you know, in a heavily weighted capacity. But that's not, I believe, how they do it. It's, it's completely random. So you might have someone who's kind of retired to Minnesota but still in SAG, and they're, they're getting 
getting mm-hmm. a ballot. And so they're watching all the, the DVDs and things like that. Um, I, I have a lot of conversations because I go to a lot of these screenings and some of them have receptions afterwards. And often I'll go by myself. So I will end up talking to the person next to me and whatnot. And they might not be on the committee um, because I, I think if they were, they would tell me because I would often kind of like casually slip it in like a humble brag. <laughs> like, you know, I'm non-com. So I just walked right in. But I don't know. Was the line bad today, Todd? Um, and so nobody really reciprocated, which tells me, hey, 2,500 people, although on paper that sounds like a lot, it actually is a very, very small fraction of the amount of people Mm. in SAG and especially the amount of people in New York in SAG. So I actually did not have the pleasure of discussing my ballot or or their ballot with anyone this year. Um, We do the Challenge Mania Awards every year, which is something we obviously concocted and is is completely, you know, know, for all intents and purposes, fake, but it's something that our our listeners are delighted to be uh, play a part in. And we've started over the last couple of years doing a nominating committee where our diesel-level patrons will Zoom with me Derek and help us come up with either categories or nominees and that is a deliberation process and we if, if you know if everything's kind of sweeping everyone ag- agrees we just put them right on and then if it gets down to a couple we'll do a vote and everyone raise their hands and I would love for that to have been the case and to have like put nominated myself as like speaker of the SAG nominating committee but no <laughs> uh, unfortunately it is a lot less theatrical than that you basically just you know you get invited to a lot of stuff you get all the screeners everything's at your disposal it's up to you to watch as many and as much as possible they do split it off where you're either selected to serve for the uh, film or for television. I believe back in the day when I like put my hat in the ring, because I think there's an application or something, I selected, I'd like prefer, I would do both, but I'd prefer film. So I think that's maybe why I got film. And you can only serve for one out of every seven years. So now I'm done. It's mm. like, it's like fun jury duty, right? So it's like, so I'm, I'm like <laughs> done for seven years. I think I could maybe get selected to do TV, but it would just be mathematically impossible to be able to actually watch all the TV and all the films. So um, by the same token, because I've watched so many movies, I'm kind of light on the TV intake, um, but but yeah, no, that. sadly, no interacting, <laughs> no deliberating, no talking. Um, they do actually even I this might even be in violation of that. I have no idea, but I and I think because they're already out and everything, it's fine. But you know, they tell you like, hey, maybe don't like put everything out there on social media. What they, I think they don't want you to like sway any of the voting or conversation. Right. They don't want you to be like tweeting out like official nominating committee member here, and I love bones and all. And if you guys don't join me in voting <laughs> for Mark Rylance, I will be upset. You know, hashtag bones and all for SAG Awards. Like they don't want stuff like that. Um, but I do think some of the fun of participating is sharing a little bit of the bells and whistles because it's nothing crazy it's nothing like seeing how the sausage is made but it is kind of fun to know what goes into this stuff because unless you know somebody who's done it you might not know what goes into compiling these nominees that we now will talk about and you guys will talk about for a month leading up to these awards you know to get behind the psyche even by even understanding the process of how adam sandler winds up in this best actor five I kind of have a little bit of, I'm privy to a little bit of knowing this guy was out here in New York. He did at least five or six in-person Q&As. Mm-hmm. Netflix bought the Paris Theater here in Manhattan. And so they're basically using it as their own personal screening room. And so I can tell you that like, you know, the, uh, you know, Glass Onion, uh, Hustle, but specifically Sandler, like, you know, if you're here and you're getting the emails and you're getting the invites and you're actually going to some of the stuff, you do get a sense for who was really pounding pavement and getting out there and shaking hands and kissing babies. And then when you see a Sandler on there, it makes a lot more sense to me, even though I didn't vote him. Um, right. He was like maybe my sixth or my seventh. It makes more sense to me than it might make to even guys like you who are thinking, wow, that came out of nowhere. No one really has been predicting him. I think a couple people did. But so, 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 you know, I'm 
happy to share as much as I, as I can about the experience, which yes, does not come with uh, actually like a gavel and uh, secretly meeting underneath uh, you know Harvard Business School to like talk to Joshua Jackson <laughs> and the other skulls about who the uh, nomination. Wow, <laughs> a skulls call. reference. I like it straight out of 1998. And even if they if, if someone at SAG does get upset with you for you know spilling the beans here, apparently they have seven years to get over it. So you're, you're you should be okay. We're gonna exactly. They'll be long gone by then. Fra- Fran Drescher will have moved on to something else. And I love that the president of SAG is the nanny, by the way. I right. Say, I think that is so cool. Uh, and then, you know, Courtney B. Vance, I believe, I forget what his title is, but he he might have even had her position or he has a different position. So that's really cool. Um, so it's it's funny. It's like uh, before her, it was actually, it was Andrea from uh, from 90210 was the president of SAG. So it was always funny getting, uh, being like, man, I'm, I'm glad that Andrea from 90210 really grew, grew up to uh, do something that you would almost, you would almost like feel like that character would be the president of SAG, right? Like that's like, it's like so in line with that character. I have no idea of her as a person or an actress, but that character feels like she would grow up to be the president of some sort of massive They should have, like whoever the president is, should have to stay in their most known character. Like it shouldn't be Fran Drescher, the president. It should just be the nanny now as the president of SAG. I think that'd be a nice twist. Yeah. And, you know, I wish as far as like whether they, there really isn't that much to reveal or to whatever. It's like, and I'm happy to, because I think it's it's so interesting. Like when you, you figure out like how do some of these ballots come together? How do we get these fives? Like I chose to, there's two ways to, to look at who you vote for. And it's like, there are some go with the grain nominees that, you know, I was like, look, these people are getting nominated no matter what. Do I kind of vote for them? So, cause I, cause I know they're going to get nominated or mm-hmm. do, Hey, even though I know this person probably doesn't have a chance do I still vote for Chalamet and best actor? Cause I think he was one of the best performances. I'm going to go ahead and do that and things like that. So, you know, I, I kind of have an insight in that if there's people who voted like me, like you probably do see how it's like, you know, if, if there are people who are going to get nominated no matter what, like maybe a, a Michelle Yeoh and a Kate Blanchett and like they're kind of safe that some of the on the bubble people like a, a Margot Robbie or a Brad Pitt who didn't get in. Maybe that's because a lot of voters were po- going with their passion plays along the way. And so even though a Margot Robbie or a Brad Pitt might have been a passion vote for some people, they weren't for everybody. Um and so, you know, there's kind of insight I can give into like my own personal experience. But to to say that I know what the other 2,499 people did or what went into their mm-hmm. voting or even if they saw all the movies and it's just a question of like, hey, what were they told time and time again? This is what's probably going to be nominated or whatever. You know, that might have went into it, too. I have no way of knowing because, again, there is no massive meeting for everyone. <laughs> well, I, we really appreciate you taking us behind the scenes second year in a row. And guys, go back and listen to last year's show where Scott talked talked about uh, all the voting procedures uh, and, and, and more of the rule. I think we were more rule heavy last year. Uh, so go back to and check that one out. But I, I am curious because you talked about Netflix a couple times there. They're obviously campaigning like crazy uh, for for award seasons every season they've been going hard to try to legitimize everything movie related uh at their uh, streaming service and now they're kind of vertically integrating with sag to have this show next year do you get any sense that like netflix is well liked uh, on the ground there do you do you get the sense that uh, obviously they're they're working it but uh, what do you think to kind of bring back to this question what do you think this Netflix SAG alliance is gonna do because we've had obviously we've had Disney and ABC you know being uh, intertwined with the Oscars for years we've had Universal and NBC intertwined with the Globes and yeah I mean Fableman's won the other night but look at we 
it, it doesn't hurt Netflix and, and Netflix uh, candidates in the future, right? I mean, it's got to it's got to help them somewhat. I think it's a little bit overblown the like potential conflict of interest. Like I, I really do. I, because I, I mean, if you think about it, so the SAG Awards had previously been on TNT, TBS, in the Warner family. I think the past couple of years they kind right. of, I don't know if they simulcast it, but it went on HBO Max like after or whatever. And and obviously that's more on the TV end there, other than maybe Warner Brothers Films. But I never saw uh, any sort of connection between how well those properties were doing on the on the show because of the telecast yeah. and things like that. Um, same goes for what you said Oscars ABC I mean look does like Kimmel end up getting better guests after the Oscars because of that than (laughs) say Jimmy Fallon does yeah maybe in that capacity but (laughs) in a voting capacity no I will say though what I love about Netflix just shamelessly from a SAG voter and potential you know someone who gets invited to events and things like that and it's not just for the SAG awards they do them for you know just campaigning FYC in general they run a good they, they know they run a good event I went you know I mm-hmm. went to the RRR screening um, that was right in before the deadline however sadly I couldn't really vote for RRR for anything I I even I was talking to the publicist at the at the reception and I think you know I, I think I'm gonna uh, try to put you guys in for stunt and they kind of mm-hmm. like both looked at each other and not shook their head and I'm like what and they're like we're, you know, we're not eligible and I was like, oh, what? what is it? And they're like, ah, I think it's like a, the amount of, I guess, a certain percentage of the stunt uh, department has to be SAG or whatever it is, which I didn't even think of at the time. But again, so yeah. I wasn't, L- I, I went to this, this screening. It was at this gorgeous screening room here in New York at the Whitby Hotel. Uh, the director came did the talk, but also stayed for the majority of the the, uh, the party after. Complimentary wine, complimentary beer, complimentary appetizers. It's like my favorite part of a wedding is the cocktail hour. They're passing around mini lobster rolls. I was in heaven, and <laughs> nice. but I couldn't reciprocate in any way. And, and it's not like I wanted to in a non-logical way. I was like, you know what? Stunt makes sense for this. You saw it win at the Globes in sound. Absolutely. But I couldn't even reciprocate. You know what I mean? So um, – I'm happy Netflix, Netflix, again, knows how to throw a good event, knows how to campaign, knows how to do that stuff. But I don't think it's as simple as like being able to buy votes or that votes would skew a certain way because you're watching the telecast on Netflix. Because the other thing with Netflix is I know some people out there are buying the like ad subsidized version. But Netflix to me is a very seamless experience of, oh, I go and watch this. It's over. I move on. So it's not even like Netflix can really, I mean, to the best of my knowledge, if they're airing the SAG Awards or whatever, do anything to kind of like... I mean, what are they going to do? Like kind of make a banner that has the SAG Awards logo and Adam Sandler on it at the top. That would be a little bit too transparent. So, I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I do think that it'll it's it, it's good because Netflix, I think, puts a lot of time, thought and money into the campaigning process. So for people who are involved in going to the events and things like that, they make it very easy for you to see the films. Like to me, I get all this stuff in the mail from Netflix as if I don't already have Netflix. I'm like, you guys are wasting a lot of CDs in here. <laughs> like I like I do not need hustle on DVD I do not Mm -hmm. and like you know you're not supposed to share screeners but let's be honest everybody maybe lets their neighbor watch something every now and then or their mom or their dad (laughs) someone they trust and I don't even bother doing that because I'm like I know they have Netflix like they're not there's that so so but they still send them out they still assume no one has which again that's a lot of wasted money there and probably a lot of wasted (laughs) materials that like the uh, you know the the green the the people would say oh that's a lot of wasted stuff but but either way they put a lot of time and thought into it because clearly it means a lot to them to find get out there and win some of these awards but i don't think it's unfairly skewing anything so 
I think Netflix or any streamer is a great partner for not just the SAG Awards, but any of these award shows, because this is how people watch TV these days. This is how people of all ages watch TV, whether they be old, young, specifically millennial people. So every year, you got to open up Variety the next day and see, this was the least watched Golden Globes ever. And it's just like the same thing with wrestling ratings. It's like TV is changing. I don't care if every year is going to have the least watched this. It's just Mm -hmm. how it's going to be for everything other than the Super Bowl and the Cowboys on Sunday Night Football. So to me, everything the, the more things can move digital and move onto the streamers i mean i would say the pros far outweigh any sort of maybe small con that there's a bit of favoritism for one or two votes along the way because the sag awards are on netflix or if eventually the oscars are on disney plus or whatever yeah and i think as far as netflix uh, wasting materials there we know they don't mind carrying a heavy debt sheet anyway so i don't think that's any skin mm-hmm. off their back but yeah i think mike and i tend to agree with you with the future of award shows and streaming in tandem but let's start getting into these sag categories we'll start with the biggie at the top here the sag ensemble award outstanding performance by a cast in a motion picture uh the nominees you hit on a couple already babylon is there banshees of inishir and everything everywhere all at once the fablemans and women talking those are the five nominees that means the woman king elvis Glass Onion, Top Gun Maverick, and She Said are all out. Mike, you want to run through some of the stats in the crossover? Yeah, to, to play a little catch-up, uh, some promised research from our last episode there. Babylon and Women Talking were nominated here in this SAG Ensemble without another individual performance nomination in any leader-supporting category. And this has now happened 22 times in SAG history, uh, over 28 years since they've had the category. And out of 141 noms, because one year... They'd had six noms for some reason. Anyway, this accounts for 15% of all the, the, the nominees, and it's only worked out that the winner of the SAG Ensemble category ha- you know, did not get nominated in any individual category four times. So that's four out of the 27 winners thus far, which, again, amounts to 14%. So I'm wondering... Scott, if you think that this could happen one more time, women talking, do they? does it have snub powers? Babylon, does Babylon have a chance to take the category in similar fashion as Parasite and Black Panther and uh, the two others are Return of the King and the Full Monty to make up those four that uh, won it without an indie nom? Well, I do, and and I'll tell you why. First, I'm going to do this for every category, just for just for to be thorough. I'll let you know who I picked. So yeah. I picked cool. Top Gun, Maverick, Bones and All, Babylon, Glass Onion, and Woman King. Uh, I believe the only two I got out of those five were Babylon and Woman King. Right. Um, so or what I'll say. Talking. Uh, wait, Woman King did not get in. Sorry. So right. the only one I got in was Babylon. Okay. okay? So that is so to go to like and this this appeal this applies for women talking too although I didn't vote for it. Um, the reason I do think Babylon has a chance here is when you go through the films that did get nominated here. Um, mm-hmm. I'll give you an example: Banshees of Inisherin. It is well represented in the other categories. You know, mm. like I I don't know why, for instance, if someone were to vote for all those other people, they would feel the need to double down and and vote again. For them in ensemble. Same for everything, everywhere, all at once. I know the logic there that you're saying that like, oh, it had so many great lead and supporting performances that it deserves this not as well. But I do think when people are voting and they're going down a ballot, they like to spread it around a little bit. So yes. um, I would say that is something that is is looks good for women talking in Babylon, which aren't represented at all elsewhere. And the Fablemans, who I believe is only represented with Paul Dano. So let me just to go to Babylon, for instance. Okay, so forget the fact that it's my number one movie of the year. 
even though you're, I you're had, amongst friends here, by the way, because I yeah. mean, for as polarizing as it was, Mike and I both enjoyed it as well. Love the movie. Love a lot of the lead performances. Like on my ballot, I had Calva. I had Pitt. I had Robbie. But I'm talking about PJ Byrne in that role as the eighth. He should be nominated. You know. I said that, I've been saying this for weeks. That scene was the funniest scene I think in years. And and for actors that don't have the name value of a Bradley Cooper, you know, who like for instance comes in, swings for the fences in mm-hmm. one scene in uh, in Licorice Pizza and gets nominated. It might be a little too much to ask to nominate P.J. Byrne individually, sure. but when you throw in him, Eric Roberts, Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, who's mm-hmm. in a few scenes of this movie, um, Mr. Lucas Haas, who turns up anytime Leonardo DiCaprio or Tobey Maguire has any say in a casting process. Yeah. I mean, uh, Gene Smart, who I did think was in too little of this movie for me to put her in supporting actress, I think is you know, well along the the sort of list of like ensemble performances here. J- uh, Jeff Garland, who's in this movie, Toby Maguire, of course, who's a producer, but comes in swinging for the fences with that creepy pale performance. Olivia Wilde, who has like two minutes of screen time, but crushes it as this cameo as Brad Pitt's like first wife in this movie. So to me, it's the epitome of an ensemble movie, as is women talking. Right. Mm-hmm. And what's great is when people do their ballot. And let's say they go and they vote for some, you know, everything all at once here and some Banshees of Inishirin here and maybe even Fablements here and this and that. When you get to Ensemble, those two movies, Women Talking and, as I just mentioned, Babylon, because that's my favorite of the two, they really do stand out as an Ensemble movie. Now, to me, Top Gun Maverick also fit into that category. I watched this movie twice, one of which was on a plane on mute, and I feel like Tom Cruise is getting all the chatter when it comes to this. I didn't have Tom Cruise anywhere near my ballot, but when you throw in Connolly and you throw in all the supporting performance is John Hamm, Ed Harris. Like, I thought that was a potential winner here in Ensemble. And when I didn't see it listed, I was really surprised. So I would say, I don't know if you guys have the odds here for SAG or if Vegas is even doing those. Not yet. I, I would imagine that because they're not up for other awards, that Babylon and Women Talking would be underdogs here. But that hmm. actually, to me, makes it, it honestly makes it their strong suit here as far as potential uh, vote getters. And I know it doesn't happen all the time. I know for every parasite and black Panther, there's a year like last year with don't look up where, you know, forget about it. Who cares? But like, I do think Babylon is an ensemble performance movie. I think a lot of people are going to be seeing it now. Clearly nobody saw it in theaters. Remember that the voters, I saw this movie super early. I saw this, I think, the first week of any screenings outside of, I forget if it premiered at a film festival or not, but the first mm-hmm. week that I believe, and I think they said we're the first New York, I think, yeah, Josh Horowitz said we're the first New York audience to see it. And, and no it festivals for Babylon. Full panel. Pitt was there. Uh, Calva was there. Chazelle was there. Um, it was almost, it was so early when, when, when Harwood said it is the first New York audience to see it. I was like, man, you think there's enough time for me to go up to Chazelle and say, is there any way to cut out that thing at the end where you show clips from avatar and the matrix? Cause man, is that a bad way to end your movie? But either way, Margot Robbie was there. They were there. They stayed a little bit after. I'm not going to say that they like fully stayed the way some people do after these things, but they didn't get rushed out the way you'd think you'd rush out a Brad Pitt or a Margot Robbie. And I was shocked to see that the first wave of discourse for this movie was so negative. I actually think that although that clearly led to a bad box office and it was not the Christmas release that they wanted, I think when these screeners come out and people do their due diligence and if they watch this movie because it's up for ensemble, you're going to see a lot of people who watch this and like this movie because they're watching it so far from that initial discourse that was negative and they'll watch and be like, wait a minute, I thought this movie was supposed to be bad. This is awesome. This scene with Spike Jones, who I didn't even mention, on this day on set with they're filming five things at once and people are dying and Diego Calva's running out for the film is maybe like the best 
part of any movie in the last five years. Like, what are we doing here? Yes, this is an ensemble. Vote for it. And especially takes a little bit without having his face on there. I know, you know, this matters more to some people than others, but Brad Pitt, who leaves a sour taste in people's mouths, he's not on. This is, this is an ensemble. It's not all about Brad Pitt. Vote for Brad Pitt here. So, right. um, so yeah. So I think in this category, they definitely do have a chance, as does Women Talking. I think there's nothing exciting about voting for a, a, a film ensemble that you've already awarded in the other categories. Now, your lips to God's ears there about Babylon, but the the two, you mentioned Babylon and Women Talking, uh, giving those odds and making the case for those two, but it would seem right now, and according to Vegas anyway, as far as Oscars Best Picture voting goes, the three leaders in the category are in some order, Banshees, Everything Everywhere All at Once, and The Fablemans. Uh, how would you power rank those three in terms of their SAG Ensemble chances? Um, again, to go, if, if you're going with the psychology of what I just said, the least represented in the other categories is Fableman. So I'd actually put that at number one, ironically enough. Um, hmm. but then there's also the chance that, that, uh, just, I, I just think Banshees is, is getting to the point where, you know, I, I, first of all, I, I feel bad cause I'm in the minority when it comes to this movie. I wanted to like it, but I actually, I, I've only seen it once so far. I'll give it another shot, but I loathed this movie. Um, wow. <laughs> and I feel similarly about everything all, all at once in that I didn't love it as much as everyone else. But when I went and rewatched it, I go, you know what? This movie's still not for me. It's a little goofy for my taste, but I'm not going to discount and disqualify the performances because of it. So I did end up putting uh, Kiwi Kwan on my ballot. Because of that, I do think he's a lock to win. I'm probably going to vote for him. But and, and I'm able to separate performance from film in that, you know, Colin Farrell's very good. Brendan Gleeson's very good. But... I do think that when it comes to chalk, right, and like you see the same things over and over again, these movies being represented so heavily on this ballot, uh, I just don't. So I would actually probably power rank them almost in the reverse that some people are power ranking them for the Oscars in that I, w I would probably go Fablemans, Everything Everywhere All at Once, and then Banshee's third because I just think that. You know, it's clogging those other categories and, and having, uh, you know, two in support. Or was it two in supporting one in supporting actress one? In, and then and you get to this and you go, am I voting for these guys again? Really? Come on for that movie. So that's the order I would go in. I wouldn't be shocked if when the odds come out, the odds are the exact opposite of what I just told you. <laughs> no, I, I love how you're bringing us into the mind of a, of a voter for all this analysis. And I love that we kind of got parallel theories going on with SAG Ensemble because I had a theory where. You know, s similar to what you were saying, that everything, everywhere, all at once, Banshees and Fablemans, they're they're in a tight race, I believe, in Best Picture, and I would believe in a Best Ensemble category. I think the race is relatively tight, and then I do think you got legitimate cases for the ensemble candidacy of a Babylon, and 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 I would probably give women talking an edge over Babylon in this regard because Babylon tanked so hard. It was such a big box office belly flop. Even after the week women talking's had Mike. I think that people look at women talking and the ensemble is so deeply talented. You go to, I mean, every single person in that movie is just putting on a, a bravura performance. I loved it uh, in, in that sense of, of the of the ensemble that I would say maybe some snub powers for women talking and maybe, you know, Babylon or Women Talking could play like a Hidden Figures did years ago, where Hidden Figures missed Globe and Choice noms. Little Miss Sunshine missed Globe and Choice noms, and yet it wound up getting propelled at the end of the day to future award season success and Best Picture nominations uh, after winning SAG, or 
eventually SAG win, the SAG win uh, validated the Best Picture nomination. Something like The Birdcage, even in the second year of the category, or maybe it was the first year of, ca- of the SAG Ensemble category, The Birdcage only got nominated for Globe Comedy or Musical and yet wound up winning SAG Ensemble, didn't produce Oscar uh, <clears throat> nominations just yet, but any award show that's just starting out, usually the crossover happens later. So... Mm. My Do you parallel. have the dates in front of you? So, to when does mm-hmm. SAG air? As far as the ninety five. No, I'm so, sorry. As far as far as this year, when when do the SAG awards air, and when does Oscar nominations uh, come out? I believe, it's the twenty four. Well, it's it, it it's not gonna the SAG winner happens on February twenty fourth, and that's a month after the Oscar nominees come out. So it's not gonna affect. The SAG noms will affect the Oscar noms. The SAG winner won't affect the Oscar winner, but the SAG winner can affect the Oscar But can't the Oscar noms affect the SAG winner? Because I think that, in my opinion, you get people who vote two ways, and actors should know the distinction. But when you're talking about half a million people, some people don't know the distinction. Where people just look at this as their de facto best picture, right? They they Mm -hmm. go, this is the closest to a best picture. I don't get to pick the best movie. So I'm going to pick the ensemble in what I thought was the best movie, right? right? So you get people who vote that way, even though you shouldn't. So I think that if Babylon gets blanked from best picture and women talking, gets in or vice versa that Mm. will heavily increase their chances to win this award because right now women talking is sort of well liked but it hasn't really been validated across the board with the precursor nominations and things like that whereas if people are told no this movie is really good and it does well at the oscar nominations then i think people will be more likely to vote for it here babylon right now people who haven't seen it are kind of being told this movie isn't good whereas if it gets that 10th slot in best picture I think that heavily increases the chances that people, when they watch it, will vote for this ensemble here because they feel like, wow, that was a great ensemble and the movie is a base level of good enough to win here. Like, for instance, some of these movies, I mean, we, Parasite's the ultimate example recently, but it's almost yeah. hard to, to it's almost hard to assess because it was the only category that those actors were up for and that was just far and away, in my opinion, the best movie of that year and a lot of people's favorite movie that year. Black Panther, <laughs> you know, whether it was the best movie that year, everyone really liked it. It was probably the yep. most well-executed Marvel movie. Babylon being so polarizing... I feel like at least getting the nod from like, you know, best picture as a nomination would tell mm. people like, oh, it's OK to vote for it here. Right now, I feel like people, especially the people who haven't seen it, are thinking, is it OK to vote for Babylon or would that be voting for like, don't look up? I don't know. You know, well, the PGAs so, didn't help its case either. I mean, definitely Babylon not is blank from the PGAs. We can go over those noms real quick. Avatar, Banshees, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Elvis, Everything Everywhere, Fablemans, Glass Onion, uh, Knives Out 2, Tar, Top Gun sequel, The Whale. We had something like I think it was four sequels making the PGA list, which is in, in and of itself historic. But Babylon kind of leads the list of those snubbed from the PGA list. So if there is kind of voter insecurity about whether or not they can justify Babylon being in there for a best picture field, I think it's the the headlining case right now against it is the fact that the producers didn't get behind a Damien Chazelle film with that ensemble in it. It's yeah, fascinating. No, that was so uh, so surprising and honestly so mm-hmm. annoying to me that they didn't nominate Babylon. <laughs> well, well, Scott, yeah. I think uh, I think everything you've been saying about Babylon it really tracks to the kind of you know highs and lows of the season. You're saying it won screening rooms and look, it got nominated at Globes and Choice before it even came out, looking like a late breaker that ultimately disappointed and got vetoed. But with the highs and lows of an award season, it c- could still come back, even yes. though now it's on a lull. Now it's on 
on a low for sure after the box office belly flop, like I'm saying, but you're talking about the snub powers. You're talking about the fact that it is a quintessential ensemble, which is why I ultimately think, guys, this is kind of a flat category where you could make a potential argument for all five SAG Ensemble nominees. I would wonder, Michael, if this is how the best picture uh, plays out down the line. I, I do want to uh, build on the PGA noms uh, for for an overall best picture discussion here. But I got to say, like the my parallel theory with you to finally come around to it was that it is a flat category. And we've seen this happen before with surprise winners in particular at the Oscars. It happens when it seems like people are vote sharing over three or four potential contenders, and that might be happening here, which could allow for the outside lane of a women talking to really come through uh, in this particular instance, or Babylon for that matter. So that's, anyway, that's that's where I'm at with this. I, uh, I wonder if you guys believe in the rankings right now, believe in the odds checker, Vegas rankings. I wonder if you believe in the kind of what I laid out here. I think there's like a big six and then you can kind of shift six to eight, but obviously Banshee's everything everywhere. Fableman's those are the top three. I'm guessing Top Gun, Elvis, Tar probably make up that big six. Then you have Avatar, Glass Onion. They've gotten most things, but not all to make it eight. But look at my God, we have, I think, was it nine films that have been nominated at a major precursor? Babylon, Women Talking, Triangle of Sadness, All Quiet on the Western Front, RRR, After Sun, Living, nine films I guess you can make with the Bath the Long list, that is. That is a huge list. We're going 17 deep in the Best Picture category. Michael, how in the hell are we going to choose the the top 10 in terms of the best picture in our Oscar nominations predictions? And, oh, RRR is another one. Dude, how how is this category going to shake out? And do, do you agree with me, Scott, I guess, is that this is kind of a flatter best picture category than we've seen in the past? I You know, when I was compiling my list of, like, my top 20, 10, then 20, then 30 movies, I was like, wow, this was a deceptively deep year in general. Um, and I do think it's led to a wide variety of movies getting love across the board. I think those two uh, international features you mentioned, RRR and... Um, all Quiet on the Western Front. Both of them made my top 10. Both very different movies, uh, but really great achievements along the way. I could I would not be surprised to see either of them creep into a Best Picture race, especially since neither of them represented here in SAG, but you kind of understand why uh, in that department. And so, and you know, you mentioned, you know, like, for instance, something you sent to me earlier, and it does suck that I'll never be the number one Scott to come on this podcast, but <laughs> Feinberg, you know, had, I believe, RRR in his uh, likely uh, Best Picture race still, even after right. it didn't take home the globe i think we had a very surprising globe winner in international feature everybody had their eyes on that category and probably yeah. if anything had the two films i mentioned and bardo above above the film that won argentina yeah. is at 1984 1985 yeah, yeah. 85 yeah. 85 you know so i mean Th that's sort of wide open there um, with the Babylon discourse. It's like, you know, it, it does get in here for ensemble, which you would think is a is a is a nod for it. But then it gets blanked at the PGAs. I will say what this year has uh, is setting up for, in my opinion, is what I always want. The, the award season is so long now, especially when you add in podcasts and Twitter, which is its own sort of ongoing discussion and this and that, that I feel like you almost never, in my opinion, 
like want to be the front like it's almost like like you never i don't know if you guys watch survivor but to me you never want to be the person who's getting the winner's edit in the first seven weeks of survivor because they're setting you up to be the big fish that the eventual winner ends up getting out around week eight right you don't want to be the banshees of inishirin because again coupled with the fact that i'll tell you that for the day i saw that movie i'm like this movie will be nominated for a lot of stuff it might even win a thing here or there but there is no way that that movie is winning best picture however just like 1917 just like Mm. the power of the dog it will damn right be maybe the the favorite odds wise and everything else going into oscar sunday but i am telling you that by the time that sunday rolls around the Oscar voters will have talked themselves into something else and something more interesting. And that might be everything everywhere all at once because it's sort of the little engine that could came out earlier in the year. Everyone loves it. It might be the Fablemans because the Fablemans honestly benefited from feeling like it was going to be this front runner early, kind of lost its luster, and now is coming back as like a fun, oh yeah, we do love Spielberg play. Elvis Mm -hmm. is obviously in the running as like all these kind of like gaudy biopics end up being, um, you know, Avatar Way of the Water, which which seemed like when it came out, it was getting a lot of critical love that talked about it like it could be this. And then, of course, rearing its not-so-ugly head could potentially be Top Gun Maverick to like take best picture and maybe like sound and cinematography and, and route to like one of the like you know lower total awards tally best picture wins in just a reminder that hey we all have this movie in our top five we all loved it let's for once give the oscar to the movie we all loved so you know the movie i didn't name just now is babylon and like i don't think necessarily it really has hopes of potentially winning best picture but if it sneaks in as the ninth or the tenth I'd still at least put it in the running as potentially something that falls in the category of, hey, like this is this is the coda, not not Babylon per se, but all the things I just mentioned are the coda sort of late steam run last year felt more interesting and felt more worthy than the, hey, we heard about it in September. Benedict Cumberbatch is really stoic and good. You know, she's going to win best director. Oh, let's just chalk it through the award season. I don't think that's ever going to happen again. I don't think you want to be the Roma. You want to be the power of the dog. And in this case, that you want to be the Banshees of Inishirin, even though it came on slightly later here than those other movies I just named. I just think it's too boring. It's too mundane. There's no way that movie wins Best Picture, in my opinion. Yeah, you're preaching to the choir. I mean, I, it remains to be seen if it's going to be Banshees this year, but we've made that point often. It's like the the wire-to-wire win is very, very difficult to do. Nomadland was able to do it, but that was also the weird COVID year of 2020. I mean, you just yep. look think, look back at last year where it was, uh, what was that movie, Belfast? Mm-hmm. Or the, the, was that the title yep. of that movie? Yep. I must remember it. Yeah, I mean, that was, you know, that came out and everyone was sure that was going to win. 1917 before, same thing, even though it debuted late, everyone was sure that was going to win. And then these things just kind of fall apart at the end there. So you're absolutely right. And I agree with you, too. This is a, a relatively deep year. So deep. Tar. Fact, I didn't even name Tar. I, well, I, I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say Tar and I was going to say The Whale, too, which surprised everybody by getting into PGAs. But I don't know that that necessarily has best picture hopes. But the fact that it shows up on PGA and something like Babylon doesn't maybe speaks to. Brendan Fraser's candidacy and lead actor more than anything. I don't know. It, it's possible. I just think it's it's a, such a deep field where you can make a credible case for who gets into the hard ten at, at Oscars Best Picture that that's a rarity. Like we even have to we have to take everything into consideration, and even the SAG stunt ensemble to to eventually transition. Now we have to take it into consideration because you just never know. I think the voting is going to be so flat. RRR, Triangle of Sadness, etc. I mean, the the whale has a case now, like you said, Pete, the producer supported it. It goes like nine deep in terms of those contenders past the big eight. It could go anywhere. And, 
yeah, I just I, I'm fascinated by what's going to happen. I would be I would be very impressed with pundits who actually pick the perfect ten at Best Picture uh, heading into next week. Michael, we're going to have to try and be such, but I guess we should uh, transition into SAG Stunt Ensemble really quick. Avatar: The Way of Water, The Batman, Black Panther: Wakanda Forever, Top Gun: Maverick, and The Woman King. That means out of the nominees, Everything Everywhere, All Quiet on the Western Front, 13 Lives, Emancipation. Scott, you already talked to us about RRR being ineligible, but what did you think of there this There was a stunt lot. Five? So so weird is, so I'm trying to pull up who I had because I was really surprised by the lack of... Now, again, this is probably due, I'm sure somebody from SAG could explain this, but it probably has to do with the amount of of, uh, of people in the ensemble or that worked on it that are, avail- that are part of SAG because... Gotcha. I'll put it to you this way. The films I nominated were um, The Woman King, Top Gun Maverick, Jackass Forever, Wakanda <laughs> Forever, and Devotion, right? Um, and I will say that these other categories, you're just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. W- without like without completely guessing, if I had to get if I had to sort of estimate how many movies you could even put in, I think it was like thirty. I think it was like thirty movies, huh. maybe even less. And so Maybe even less. it might have only been like 20 movies. So the qualifications wow. for this, I don't think it talked about enough. This category, I know I know you guys are always, you know, kind of, you know, pounding the ground for this as am I that this get added as an Oscar category. I think something that stands in its way and I don't know if this would happen for the Oscars in the same way are for what like whatever limitations there are out there for for what you can vote for. It's a pretty narrow category. It's like the for this it was like I was surprised like if I wanted to like say I just like really liked the Scream, right? For instance, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not 100 percent sure because I don't have it in front of me, but I, like I don't think Scream was. Uh, you could pick Scream, right? Scream is in my top 20 movies of the year. We all forget that it came out in 2022 because it came right. out like January 5th. But yeah. like to me, I would say like, hey, the, like hey, the stunts in that movie look pretty good. There's a lot of like hand to hand comment, like combat. Hey, I just want to put that on my ballot somewhere. Can I put it here? No, I can't. So to hmm. me, like the lack of flexibility there, I think it might be what keeping it from becoming a, a, a broader category and something that can be on the Oscars. But that's like when people go, why didn't this movie or that movie get nominated here? Some of them just aren't eligible for whatever reason. So I wish SAG would be more transparent about that and put the qualifications out there. Because you hear every year famously with like original song or with um, score, you'll be like, oh, for whatever reason, Johnny Greenwood isn't eligible for There Will Be Blood, one of the best scores the last 20 years, because he like used bits and pieces of Radiohead songs, whatever it is. Like so so you learn about that. Uh, I sadly to say this, but I feel like SAG just thinks nobody cares about this category, which is why they don't even like have the woman from White Lotus read it live on Instagram live. They just like put it out there 20 minutes before as like a as like a <laughs> palate cleanser. Um, they they care so little or assume we care so little about this category. They don't, they don't even explain to us the, the distinguishing like factors for how you can be eligible. But I think people should know that like people should know why this movie or that movie wasn't eligible because I came to these five not because I genuinely thought they were the best five and most five were the uh stunt ensembles to be um honored they were the best five among the like 20 options i was given so it's very narrow yeah i mean there you go i mean that's you know it's sad that it, it sounds like sag may not even pay the uh the proper amount of respect to the stunt and it's a whole industry that hollywood cannot operate without and these guys are literally putting their lives on the line and being <laughs> professionals in what they do and i mean with I mean, the guild just... stuff it's like look what is it there's a lot of big movies this year that aren't up for the writers guild awards not because the writers guild doesn't think they're great screenplays but because those people just don't play right, right. Pay writers guild dues so you know same thing quinn tarantino i believe famously mm-hmm. isn't in the writers guild or whoever and i think uh, maybe martin mcdonough this 
year. So that is not, it, it says nothing about the quality of the work. And same thing here, the reason that RRR or in whatever other cases, Scream, apologies if that's not one of these cases, I think it is because it would have been on my ballot probably. Like these movies just either didn't submit themselves, didn't submit the proper paperwork. They're, again, their they're stunt coordinator isn't in sat. Whatever the thing is that's disqualifying them, we should know what that is because it's not really a fair assessment to say these are the five movies that the SAG uh, nominating committee right. picked it's like these are the five out of the 20 or 30 options we were given and in that case one of those for me was jackass forever because if you're gonna like you know have a piranha hey. bite you legitimately i know like <laughs> hey it's not a stunt in the sense of that you didn't really do it but hey that guy deserves something right right <laughs> i don't disagree and i'm almost afraid to make this an oscars category at the end of the day i mean they might just be jumping off you know uh, jumping out of planes with no parachutes trying to win Oscars for this one. I, I don't know what would happen. I'm almost t- terrified, especially maybe they'll wait till Tom Cruise is out of the game before right. they turn this into an Oscars <laughs> category. Uh, wait, I, does Tom, I, wait, does Tom Cruise do his own stunts? I had no, I, I had yeah, no yeah. idea. He's, he's been very, guy, very, you know, down key, low key about that. He doesn't make it known. Guy like can't even make an announcement without jumping out of a plane afterwards. <laughs> like, so real quick, do you think he gets the win here for SAG stunt ensemble? I, I'm probably leaning towards Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, I think. Top Gun Maverick gets it because I think so much has been made of the making of that film. I think obviously, you know, it looks so cool. Uh, so much. It's, it's so widely known that the the actors actually had to be up there in the uh, F-18s or whatever they're called and things like that. So I, I do think that's the one that gets it. Um, and I think very deservingly so. Um, I also think in a weird way, it's a movie that was blanked otherwise. So it's like, hey, if this is Good. the only way I can honor this movie that we all really loved, um, I'm going to do it here. So I, I do think it's a lock to, to probably win this category. I could be wrong but um i would say so uh we can move on and talk about the individual acting awards for sag and we'll talk, start with the first one of supporting actress angela bassett hong chow carrie condon jamie lee curtis and stephanie Shu. both of those last two from every everything everywhere all at once uh both make the cut that means the, the likes of dolly de leon janelle monet carrie mulligan jesse buckley lashana lynch emma thompson those are all out uh where were you at here scott yeah i only i only nominated one of these women uh albeit she was in my number one slot but uh miss angela bassett but i had dolly de leon i had janelle monet i had kiki palmer for nope and i had slotted in someone who again came nowhere near the final uh awards ballot here but someone whose performance i liked so much was uh dakota johnson in cha-cha real smooth i had her penciled in and supporting up until the point I went looking for her when I'm putting in my ballot and saw, oh no, she's up in lead. So last minute I had to scramble and I ended up putting in uh, Carrie Mulligan slightly over Hong Chow um, and then Chow gets in. So I, I came close to having two of the people. I end up only having Bassett here. Um, Carrie Mulligan was nominated for the Globe, but not here. Um, so this I thought was a really kind of you know interesting category. Some other people I considered were Jennifer Connelly in Top Gun, Samantha Morton and She Said, um, mm. some of the other supporting um parts in tar and in woman king as you mentioned but i i, I like you know what i i don't love even though it's very well deserving in a lot of cases and even in this case you know even though i'm not a huge everything everywhere all at once person like i don't love for whatever reason the look of when there's two people from the same movie in the same category <laughs> i always feel like it clogs it like whether it's you know whether it's uh you know uh i forget who uh got in when it was like um was it Lakeith, Stan- Lakeith Stanfield got in for Judas and the Black Messiah? Sure. And last year, Jesse Plemons getting in for Power of the Dog. Like, I just don't love the two in one category. I just don't love it. I feel like they take votes from each other, and I feel like it just looks bad on paper. Um, 
mm-hmm. of course, we have it on the Banshees <laughs> of Inishiran side for for male as well. So, um, yeah, I will say, like, I don't really have. Th- so, I'm gonna vote for Angela Bassett um, as I should. I mean, I would I would have like almost like a no backbone if I went and voted for someone who I didn't even <laughs> nominate, and then I go and pick them to win. But I love this performance. I almost like like I think a lot of people have said this, but the minute that trailer came out over the summer, I sort of like in the back of my head kind of saw this coming. Um, yeah. I and you can see with all the FYC stuff, they have transitioned into literally marketing the movie as if it is about her, which, um, spoiler alert if you haven't seen the movie, but um, just logistically, it is very much not fully about her because she's only in a section of the film, but the section of the film she is in, she dominates, she is incredible and literally somehow conveys every little ounce of sort of you know grieving and power and and you know coming like coming back from all this loss and things like that with every single word she says so um she's amazing i hope she wins i think she'll win um i think she'll probably end up coming out of this um not just sag but probably the oscars ballot as well as being a, a heavy betting favorite if you ask me um i think there's some other narrative stuff that that comes into play here first marvel actor i think to win uh she's obviously very well liked in hollywood um also named her daughter bronwyn which we just named our daughter bronwyn which is cool shouts to bronwyn's out there but um so yeah i will say i was way off on this category i i was for sure janelle monet was getting in uh and to go back to the netflix stuff they put a lot of time a lot of money into to that glass onion campaign and she was at the forefront of it um you know you saw edward norton out here a little bit you saw uh kate hudson but uh i think i saw uh, janelle monet do five or six events here in the city wow. so um and she i i met her at one of them she was absolute delight um and so i'm very shocked to not see her on here i still would I still think she might get on the Oscars, but I I will say about this category, uh, as far as the SAG noms go, I don't know that it necessarily, and I know Condon, I don't have her on my ballot because again, I don't love the movie, but she's, you know, pencil her in for sure. Um, I would say pencil in Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, based on the narrative and everyone loves that movie, but I think Mm. that performance to me is very on the nose. Um, and so pencil them in probably, but I will say that, uh, them and Bassett. I would say the other two slots are kind of open-ended. I would ask you guys, is it, is it possible that between now and the Oscars, somehow, some way, Michelle Williams gets re-earmarked for supporting the same way oh. Kate Winslet got slotted into lead instead of supporting or whatever that was that year? Is it possible? People were wondering. It would have had to have been changed by now, I believe, because Oscar okay. voting right, you're right, just you're right. happening. I think we would have heard but no, about Lakeith, it. Wait, but Lakeith, no, no, because listen to this. When we were surprised on Oscar nominations day that Lakeith was So was Lakeith, Lakeith Stanfield. Yeah, yeah. Lakeith so, Stanfield was surprised too. Lakeith was literally like in, I, or so we all thought. I mean, granted, none of us had Oscars ballots, but we're literally talking about him and whether he could get in at lead. And then on Oscars morning, we literally found out that he was somehow run as supporting. So I do feel like it's pot. I, I mean, but like when I see how wide open this category yeah. seemingly is, even though I love the Bassett performance, I don't know that she should be the lock that she is. I wonder, could Michelle Williams kind of move over there? Um, but yeah, so th- those are my thoughts on the category. Um, I'm surprised to not see D- uh, Dolly DeLeon uh, for... Um, I had her in my two slot, actually. I thought she was great yeah. in Triangle of Sadness. I was kind of expected her and maybe screenplay to be the representatives for that movie. Um, but yeah. Well, this is a category that goes nine deep in terms of actresses that have gotten major precursor nominations, whether it's Globe Choice or both. It goes 12 deep if you include the BAFTA long list and the possibilities there. And then we've seen like the Claire Foy's, Kiki Palmer's, Nina Hosses do very well on the critics awards circle at this time so mike we're gonna have a we're gonna have a difficult time picking the this category next week and scott i mean this tracks 
based on what we've been saying for months, that this is one of the deepest fields. It tracks your analysis. And I'm guessing a lot of voters are saying similar things about supporting actress that uh, they have struggled to get a lot of uh, connection because I do think it, that that it tracks on the year. We've had a great year for supporting performances and it definitely hurts a women talking because so many in that ensemble with the exception of Rooney Mara obviously fall into this category to where the vote sharing has just been egregious, I'm guessing in this particular case. So vote sharing, does that ultimately box out JLC or Stephanie Hsu? Very, very good chance of it in this particular year, but maybe Stephanie Shoes and the outcry over her not getting nominated, maybe like like I've been saying for years, guys, snub powers are real, Michael. So I don't I don't know where to land on this one. I still think there's gonna be a lot of variance, Mike. Uh, are you are you agreeing or uh do you think we're gonna see more of a similar five from SAG to Oscar? Give Jamie Lee Curtis her Oscar. That's my take on this category. <laughs> I don't even like it's not even that like, oh, my God, that was such a great performance. I'm just that much of a sucker for Halloween and Jamie Lee Curtis. But like the campaigning she's done this year, she's been going everywhere and saying all the right things. So so you're holding the foam hot dog finger in the air. I'm tractor beamed right now into this category. <laughs> I don't think she's going to win. For, I do think Angela Bassett is the leader in the clubhouse right now. And I, I like, like what Scott's saying. I think like Angela Bassett is probably a lock. Jamie Lee Curtis is probably a lock for nomination right now Carrie Condon is probably a lock and then you have those two that you can play around with and like you said Mike it is a you could have a litany of possibilities there as far as Scott suggesting Michelle Williams come down I don't know the the machinations or logistics of what would have to happen for that to happen on Oscar nomination day I just Mm -hmm. think it wouldn't happen with a front runner and I think if Michelle Williams comes into this category she would automatically be a front runner I mean Lakeith Stanfield was kind of it was okay because it was so out of the blue. Well, what happened the Winslet year, fifth. right? So when Winslet went for the reader, right? I forget which way it went, but oh, she God. did not. She won for something different. I thought different. the HFPA strayed from the course that I thought I remember reading. I don't remember it happening in the year, but I thought I remember it in research. The HFPA was the ones who first said, okay, we're going to run her as this. And then everyone else was like, oh, that's surprising to us because we thought she was a whatever it was that she was in the And Oscar. then Viola, was, was Viola always supporting for Fences, even though it was, like, clearly the lead performance? As far the, as my recollection The best goes, performance yeah. that year overall, I thought, you know, so, I, okay, so, I, look, it's probably not going to happen, but I wonder, would it make this uh, a more interesting race? Um, you know, who knows? Kate ultimately won lead at the Oscars, I believe, after winning supporting elsewhere. Uh, and that I believe she won supporting at SAG, I want to say. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think it was literally. Because the HFPA usually comes out and says, you know, this is definitively this category. And it's not usually the Oscars who say they're definitively. Usually the, the studios come out and say, we're running this person as this. But I don't know that that affects necessarily how they're yeah. going to vote it on the Oscars. Well, Winslet won the reader uh, or won supporting for the reader in 2009 at SAGs and then won. Yeah, she was SAG across the board until the Oscars. That's what happened. Supporting, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, who knows? It could happen here. Um, You wonder, like, that was probably by their own choice, whereas it feels like if Michelle Williams does it, they almost got bullied into it because everyone's been sort of criticizing it since day one. So you wonder, like, will they not do it because it'd be like a win for, like, all the angsty film pundits who had said it the second that they, you know, put her in in lead. But And look, I'll be be quite honest. I do not like that performance, so it, it, it doesn't necessarily mean I would vote for her. I just think that, you know, being that she's such a... And I'm not necessarily like a category, like I'm not a big category fraud person in that, like I, I do think sometimes what sucks is performances get awarded because they are the most 
that a supporting performance uh, could possibly do for a movie, you know, for instance, like a Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is like clearly a co-lead. Ethan Hawke in Training Day, clearly right. a co-lead, things yeah. like that. And like, so, and, and, you know, obviously Viola Davis and things like that. So it's like, you know, you, you almost sometimes disqualify all the legitimately supporting performances because you just have one that it's good. And it's also literally, how do you deny this part that is so integral to the movie itself um so i think there'd be a, a little bit of that which would make it interesting however i found the performance to almost be i, I know i i i think steven spielberg's intent is i'm supposed to hate her but like you know clearly nailed it because I, <laughs> I you know the same way he made me believe that was a t-rex in jurassic park he made me believe yeah terrible mother you know so i i just like not just annoying just like you know very supportive and like wanted him to do the film passion thing but just like i uh, just couldn't stand the way she talked but uh, uh, but that's just me you know um so I just think that could maybe make it an interesting race, but I I, I do think we're getting. I, I will say for this one for SAG, um, I wouldn't be surprised if we got maybe Jamie Lee Curtis here instead of Angela Bassett here, um, and then. But I don't think it would lead to necessarily an Oscar win for Curtis. But um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't I be surprised wonder. if we if we strayed from the from the pack here with this one uh, for SAG. Um, but I also wouldn't be surprised if her and Stephanie split boats and you just got Bassett again or you got Condon maybe. I think if Bassett wins here, that's probably it for the category, right? As far as the winner, it oh, would yeah, be I a hard, so. yeah. it would be a hard tip. But in terms of nominations, guys, I mean, if we are literally going twelve deep in, in major precursors vote sharing, then we may be going thirteen deep. What's to say we're not going fourteen deep? And I think that's when Marina De Tavares and Lakeith Stanfield get nominated when you have a deep field, and especially when you're sharing down the card. Maybe that's when Gaga's get omitted uh, from the lead actress category, like like it, like she did last year when you're when you're sharing, uh, you know, from four all the way till nine. That's why it happens. So this is this is a fascinating category to monitor going forward. I wonder, and I doubt we're saying the same thing about supporting actor because it's so top-heavy and so crystal clear, at least for the first four guys. Uh, Paul Dano of The Fablemans, Brendan Gleeson, Barry Keoghan of ba- both of Banshees, Ki-Hui Kwan, uh, Ki-Hui Kwan, excuse me, Everything Everywhere, and Eddie Redmayne seem to be leading right now, at least in terms of resumes. You can make an argument. Uh, for Bad, Brad Pitt, Judd Hirsch, Brian Tyree Henry, all got choice or Globe nominations, but they're out in the SAG Five. Uh, Tom Hanks, Woody Harrelson, Albrecht Schuch, uh all got BAFTA long lists, as well as Michael Ward and Ben Wishaw. So I guess you can deepen the list of supporting actors based on the BAFTA long list, which uh, is that's the, what it's designed to do. But I would make a harder. I would make a harder case for we're going to get a supporting actor from that group rather than to go deeper for a Yovana Depo of Babylon or Jeremy Strong or, you know, somebody fun like a Pedro Pascal to kind of crash the party. So I guess I'm building up to the fact that do you guys see a similar Kihue Kwan sweep, uh, Scott? Do you think he's got this one sewn up? Yeah, he's got it sewn up and as if at like, I'm the perfect example for why he's got the sewn up because I, again, not a big fan of that movie, watched it a second time and thought, okay, whether whether or not I like this movie, both him and Michelle's and to an extent, you know, Stephanie and Jamie Lee's performances, you know, they're they're going for it. They have so much to do. They're they're fearless performances. Um, And so I, I don't think I should hold the movie against him or him vice versa however you would say it so i put him in and then on top of all that right you see the speech he gives 
And you see the through line narrative between what we always talk about. Oh, a comeback story, a reconnaissance, uh, you know, do, you know, Mickey Rourke, this and that. And this year, you thought it was going to be Brendan Fraser. I mean, could anyone have even fathomed the idea that the kid from Goonies and <laughs> Indiana Jones, who was found once upon a time by Steven Spielberg, who's also very much a part of this Oscar discussion and narrative, who took, I believe, 20 to 30 years off of acting and got called from a, a, a pair of directors who, as he so you know eloquently put the other day, you know, thought of him for, for this role and, you know, dug him up from obscurity or whatever he said about it. And it's just so heartwarming and perfect. And the idea that this guy is now going to have a gigantic second career based on not just this film, but whatever the next 10 things he gets put in. And I guarantee you he's going to have a Marvel role coming out of this and he'll be in the next <laughs> Star Trek or something like that for sure. And he will be now a household name who I will tell you, and you can tell me if I'm alone in this. You know, he was not a household name, even though he was a household face and a house. his characters had household names. And he was a childhood actor who had very much distanced himself. So, like, this is with none of the baggage that, like, your usual comeback story comes with. You know, like, your Mickey Rourke's and your McConaughey's and your even Brendan Fraser's. Like, when these actors kind of, like, you know, go, you know, fade away and then come back and this and that. I'm not saying they all, like, did bad things and that's why they weren't hired for a while. But it's, like, it comes with a little bit more baggage than this. This is just, like, pure heartwarming story. He still looks a version of exactly the same, which is crazy <laughs> for all the side-by-side -side photos of him and Spielberg and him and Harrison and this and that. Mm -hmm. You have an Indiana Jones movie coming out next year if they didn't bake in a cameo i, I would be shocked they have um, to. Yeah, they had they to have, have right to. that is definitely going to be like an applause cameo in the third act mm -hmm. either way my point is it is a runaway i mean whatever the odds are they're not heavy enough for this one um this category becomes interesting of who gets the other four slots at oscar um and i do think there are some open slots because um i do think i do not think uh dano's a lock um i do think that gleason and, and uh i i cannot for the life of me say his last name um Kyogen, how do you say Kyogen? it? Yeah, I, I, we we are struggling Kyo, with that Kyogen, last name the yeah, entire Bar time. We're going to call him Kyogen. We're going to pretend that he's Kyogen. a dramedy on HBO and just call him Barry. Barry, uh, there you so go. So <laughs> Brandon and Barry, uh, you know, do they take votes or nomination votes from each other? Who knows? And I will say that Eddie Redmayne, to me, is the epitome of the rogue SAG vote, kind of Emily Blunt here, kind of Adam Sandler's and others. I do not know that Eddie, and although I had him on my long list, Eddie Redmayne, and he's, he's good in this movie. Well, who were your five, Scott? Okay, so my five for this one were Mark Rylance with a bullet. Um, again, I'm a, I, I'm a bones and all guy and I found him to be, you know. You don't say. Because Rylance to me has been like a part of my life for the last four years since he stole the Oscar from uh, Stallone. Rocky, yeah. And never once have I truly yeah. like done anything other than like respect him on screen like I've always been like yes you're you're clearly like a theatrically trained actor who's bringing the most to these movies like Dunkirk and uh, the BFG and, and whatnot but like for and and uh, you know whatever you did in uh, Ready Player One but like that's fine you're fine great okay this was the first movie where I was like oh like this to me and I was clearly wrong because this movie has not like d done anything other than gotten well regarded on some podcasts but I saw this movie and was like this is like one of the most iconic villain performances I've ever seen and the way that, like, in the first act, spoiler alert, you're not even certain he's going to be the villain. I thought he was, like, a one-scener. I thought his role in this movie was going to be, like, the role that um, Stuhlbarg plays, where he's in it for one scene, you never see him again. <laughs> Whereas he comes back in the third act of this movie and is this villain, and it crescendos with him and everything without to give anything away. I just thought that his Sully character was unbelievable. I thought he was great. I thought it was the best use of him since he's, again, become part of our lives in a major Hollywood way. So I had him there. Brad Pitt, I had. I think he's great mm -hmm. in this movie. I think if you're going to 
win for what you did in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I did love that movie. You have to at least be nominated for essentially doing now the DiCaprio part in this movie, I thought, uh, was a really fun kind of flip of it. I thought he was perfect for this role. I thought there's a lot of subtext there with maybe Brad Pitt and the sort of real-life middle-aged kind of thing he's going through as an actor, you know, that his character goes through. Brian Tyree Henry I had in here. Um, That movie is very blah. It's very nothing. It's like Brian Tyree Henry and Jennifer Lawrence sitting by a pool (laughs) for two hours. But like, but, but he's great in almost everything. And again, it's a bit of category fraud because he's kind of like the co-lead in this movie, but just so much of him to me, I had to put him in. Um, I have uh, Ki-Hui Kwan, uh, who I think is the runaway. And again, had in my fourth slot here, even though I don't love that movie, which says a lot. And then I wavered on this for a long time. I ultimately went with Judd Hirsch, but I, 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 yes. I, I came dangerously close to putting in Dano for the Batman, not for huh. Fablemans, <laughs> because I know it seems like it was five years ago now, but I, I thought, weren't we all enamored with what he did as the Riddler? A lot of which was like off camera and kind of an audio performance, but haunting in that mm-hmm. role. And then this one, and I actually, in a weird, weird way, also considered uh, Tina Cuerta Mejia from Black Panther, um, sure. who uh, played, of course, uh, Namor, who I thought carried that movie. Um, and then here, and Anthony Hopkins, I kind of considered, but I was like, you know what? Take a seat, Tony. You've done enough. <laughs> you know? um, and the one that I could not actually put to paper, because the movie is, is, a, is, a, is a glorified VH1 film, but the I Want to Dance with Somebody movie about Whitney Houston, which is not good. But the casting and performance of Stanley Tucci as Clive Davis, I thought was so (laughs) note perfect. I was like, I want to see a movie about Clive Davis where Stanley Tucci plays him and he should win for that. But I couldn't ultimately put him in. I was like to 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 see that movie and to nominate like the one white guy in the movie. I couldn't. Do it. So I was like, did, didn't do it. But those are the people I considered. Boyega also in Woman King. I really like. But I, w- I went with Judd Hirsch, who I was surprised not to see here. I wonder if it's the one scene bias, which normally SAG doesn't really play with, because, again, you saw Cooper get nominated last year. So uh, I was surprised not to see Judd Hirsch here. He was my fifth spot and which I think ultimately went to Eddie Redmayne. Yeah, I'm not a Judd Hirsch guy. Mike is, but I keep saying if you're going to give Judd, if Judd Hirsch somehow wins or gets nominated for this category, we have to retroactively go back and give Alec Baldwin the Oscar for his role in Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, because it's the same role. It's just more impactful. The speech was more impactful in 1992 than it was for me in 2022, but that's just my two cents on it. Yeah, no, there's a, there's there's quite a bit of the like you know this person does the role and gets and wins it, but you know shouldn't this person have gotten it because they did it yeah. first? You know, uh, there's quite a bit of those over the years where you can kind of say you know uh, retroactively. But I do just think you know as years go by, we get the, the the nominating you know bodies as well as the voters become more open to voting for certain kinds of movie. Like like for instance like. You know, you know, Angela Bassett, who's very well deserving this year, might be the first person to win for a Marvel performance. And you wonder, you know, like, for instance, in a in a different order or different year or like, for instance, if if Iron Man came out today, would would like, you know, a Robert Downey Jr. be taken more seriously than he was at the time? Things like that. Like, you know, we, we sort of retroactively become so more so much more open to honoring, you know, coming in and just hitting one scene. Boom. Now those people kind of win, you know, you know, feel good movies like the blind side, you know, and, and all these movies that once we went to 10 nominees that are getting nominated for best picture, it's like I go back in time and I go, if we had 10 best picture nominees, here are the following movies that I think would have maybe been 
nominated. Uh, Ransom with with Mel Gibson, right? Like that. <laughs> that one would have been in there, right? Um, wh- wh- what's another one? Um, Give me back my son. <laughs> right. Oh, Home Alone. You know what I mean? Like you, you know, my, my point is like when we you come come forward and everything evolves and we're more open to like honoring different performances and kinds of movies. You want to go back and play revisionist history and be like, well, how were the how was Jurassic Park not nominated yeah. for Best Picture if District Nine was? Yeah. You know what I no, mean? So, yeah. so, so, to, so to go back and say like you know because because I do I do think Baldwin does that today. You know he's a lock for a yeah. nominee or a win. You know so it's like. Mm-hmm. I, I do think there's a little bit of that where we evolve and rightfully so, but then to go back and talk almost famous, you know what I mean? Like some of these movies that now it's like, you know, uh, whereas if they came out in a different time period, it almost like takes these movies and these performances not being acknowledged to like then five years, 10 years later, the, the same thing comes back around and we're like, all right, we can't let that happen again. Right. Uh, so let's like properly acknowledge this one. It's why, it's why I like Spike Lee is like getting so much love for movies, that, you know, nowadays that I think are great movies, but a lot mm. of it is making up for the fact that like, like, man, couldn't you guys just get your shit together in 1989 and 92 <laughs> and whatever back then? You know, it's like, and, and like now yeah. there's like a little bit of, I think, you know, feeling bad for that. And now like a movie that I loved Black Klansman, to be honest with you. But it's like, you know, it's like if you get this, it's like, really? You didn't get that? Okay, come on. Anyway. Yeah. Um, speaking speaking of like the classifications, though, and eventually changing the categories, I think a lot of what is on the outskirts of what you guys are talking about is maybe we someday when we get away from gendered categories, we get into like best performance in a character study. And that's like the Cape Blanchett of Tar best performance in a lead, you know, and you have another category there. And then you go down the, the supporting, you know, character study, lead supporting cameo. I don't know. Those are just my terms. But maybe we get there someday. I wonder who's changing first sag or oscars or changing ever maybe i don't know i don't see i think that when you start to ask a film studio to qualify their movie as far as like genre or even ask a voting body like how much do we it's, it's how much do we laugh at genre it's more like i mean it's time on screen it's screen time and it does I just wonder if we'll get there. I don't know. Well, I, I'm all for awarding know. more people, and I feel like, honestly, like, I feel like, you know, and, and I love how, like, you know, certain guilds, like, directors have first-time director, where, like, you know, yeah. I was saying, like, you know, B.J. Novak's Vengeance was, like, one of my favorite movies last year or this year, however you want to say it, but, like, Maybe. for instance, it's, like, so, it's like sort of just kind of a traditional comedy in the sense that it, it was never going to get in with any of the right. performances or probably get in even with writing or directing, but when you have a first-time director award, you know, Boom! You can you can potentially I don't know if they did or, or if they're going to nominate B.J. Novak or someone of that nature. Same thing for first time performance. These are more like easily to distinguish things. I also think I mean the award I've always been clamoring for on the acting side, selfishly because I you know although I don't do too much like animation or anything like that, but I do work as a voiceover professional. That's why I'm in SAG. Is best mm. voiceover or mocap performance? Like I mean, it sucks that a movie like Avatar gets pretty much blanked across the board performance wise, and that's the reason why. It sucks that. When you have these animated movies, I, I mean, there are such great vocal performances in a movie like, you know, Into the Spider-Verse. I thought, again, to go back to Brian Tyree Henry, I thought he was great in that. Jake Johnson, you know, uh, Brian, uh, what's his name? Um, Brolin as Thanos. Like, you know, again, yeah. Andy Serkis should be like he, Andy Serkis should either be right. the Susan Lucci or the Meryl <laughs> Streep of mocap performance Oscars, right? He should either be like, can you believe Deacons? He's never won. He should either be that or he should have 10 of them, you know? And like. So that's one I would add, like the ones where you can actually distinguish and the ones where there wouldn't be kind of like, well, hey, uh, you know, um, uh, technically Fableman's is a biopic, so it can be up for best biopic, even though he kind of changed his name. And like, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would rather th- 
those kind of awards be added, whether it's like first time this or, you know, adding the the off screen, the vocal performances and things like that. Because I don't get why anime, I mean, animation is it or what about an acting what about an acting award in an international feature would that kill them to add that like can we can we find out like does someone really have to be so good in an animated feature that they're so good that they convince everyone to nominate them over the people in their native language because we all know there's a bias with that right like oh you made me read eh, i'm not voting for you so like that like the, uh, these are the ways i think we could add more awards and have more fun and spread the wealth around which i think would also lead to less chalk and resentment for some of the other front runner movies you know because stuff could get spread around more people could get honored across the board and then like we wouldn't have to necessarily like you know nominate the kid from what was it beast of the southern wild for like the main award you could like nominate him for the kids award anyway go ahead i i i I like the tangents that were Hmm. going on based off the supporting actor category and i think that's just indicative of there's not much to talk about with this category for me anyway. Like there's just not like, this is going to be the first category of the night. Like it was at the golden globes and it's such a layup and a slam dunk. They can't screw it up because it's so obvious who's going to win. It's going to be such a powerful moment of the night and such a great way to kick off the broadcast that like, this is all, I think we're all kind of saying this has, this is done, right? There's no way Kiwi Kwan doesn't win this award, right? Scott. I mean, I mean, we talk about like the the what what I love about a good like uh, renaissance or what comeback performance and win and etc. is the second career that it makes for the person. And like this is really sad to say, but I think it's just a harsh reality that like as great as Troy Kotzer was last year, sadly there's still not a lot of performances in Hollywood that that's going to then make him open for. You know what I mean? Whereas like even Mickey Rourke in that losing year, that wrestler run he went on got him a villain role in a Marvel movie and like five other movies that he would have yeah. never gotten for as hard as that guy is to work with. And now that it's kind of come back to normalcy with him, people are like, all right, it kind of wore off. I do potentially see this as being like the start of like, you know, him being one of the, the you know, great uh, actors who works a ton in some of the biggest movies of the year for the next 10 yeah. years. So I think that, I so. And, and so as chalk as that becomes, I think the fun becomes like, what's the next move? What's the next thing you see him in? People are going to start writing screenplays for him now, which it sounds like there was a bit of that with this, not that they wrote it for him per se, but that they immediately thought of him, which again, I love that part of the story. So, um, yeah, he's chalk. One of these awards always is. It's either we normally go back and forth. Is it sporting actors? Mm-hmm. Is it sporting actress? There's normally one of each. There's no. There's normally like every year you go into it and it's like one of best actor and, and actress and one of best supporting and supporting actress and, w- and one of them of each is always chalk for some reason. And this is the one for sure <laughs> here. And I think we, have, you know, I think we have one on the female end in lead. So. Yeah, Mike uh, Kihui Kwan would have to uh, commit murder or. <laughs> <laughs> dislike dislike Todd Field's yeah. directorial prowess God, and tar. God One of those two things that to movie, lose. Which I am now <laughs> chained to hate, but we'll get into that when we talk no. about lead actress and it's film Twitter's fault. Uh, lead actress, the five first side, Kate Blanchett, Viola Davis from The Woman King, Anna de Armas from Blonde, Danielle Deadweiler makes it from Till, and Michelle Yeoh, everything, everywhere, all at once. That means Michelle Williams is out, Leslie Manville is out, Margot Robbie is out, Jessica Chastain, Emma Thompson, Olivia Coleman as well, Naomi Aki is there. Uh, you're a big tar guy, right, Scott? Love tar, love Blanchett. Uh, one of my favorite performances of the year. Totally great with that. Uh, totally great if she takes it. Um, totally great, uh, you know, taking her into that next, you know, stratosphere of, you know, total Oscars and things like that. So, um, no qualms there. She was one of the people I had on my ballot. Who were the other four? 
So uh, lead, I you know I mentioned her before. I'm probably I might even be. This is what I would love for them to send you, right? I love like Delta sends me a thing like every uh, every month, and I don't know why I use this analogy, but they're like, this is how much money you saved on bags this month because you have the credit card, or whatever. And I would love to like just get something from SAG to just be like, congratulations, you are the only person who nominated Dakota Johnson for Cha Cha Real Smooth. <laughs> <laughs> and what sucks is so you know, my ballot was up until that Sunday: Blanchett, Margot Robbie, Taylor Russell from Bones mm-hmm. and All. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ought to laugh at me. Um, Viola Davis, and then I had in the five spot Michelle Yeoh, who I just said, you know, even though I didn't love the movie, I have to at least, you know, tip my cap to Michelle Yeoh, who carries that movie and was obviously very great in that movie. And then sure. my, I'm going to put my ballot in. And I'm like, wait a minute, I have to. This is where I have to put Dakota Johnson. Sorry, Michelle, <laughs> you're going to get nominated anyway. Huh. So I bumped Michelle Yeoh and I put in Dakota Johnson because I just well, good for you. The, for, the performance yeah, standing by your principles. Why not? You know, it, it resonated with me, and I go, look, I get to do this once every seven years. Why not have it be a direct reflection of the ones that spoke the most to me. Um, and as much as I love Michelle Yeoh's performance here, I kind of wanted just to have it on paper that um, to show some love to Dakota Johnson. So, um, but yeah, so by that token, the only two I have in, even though I kind of technically have Michelle Yeoh in as well, uh, were Blanchett and Viola. I'm glad Viola got in here. I'm, I'm sad that she's the only representative of this movie, um, other than I believe it got a uh, stunt, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, but Margot Robbie, to me, I mean, I'm like neck and neck between her and Blanchett of what my favorite uh, lead or even like not even just on the female side performance of the year was this year. I just like it's between Frazier and Blanchett and Robbie for me. I've heard all the criticisms about her character feeling like it's from another generation, feeling like it doesn't belong in the 20s. But like to me, I just thought it was such a fearless performance. It's like, you know, going to 11 every single moment. Um, and I thought it was a style choice to like not do the, you know, the on the nose. This is what someone would be like in the 20s because she is kind of like our avatar and we're not from well, the That's 20s. what I was going like, to say. Like, I, I hate that criticism because it's like, well, were you yeah. there? No, none of us yeah. were. We have no idea. This person. And let's be it. honest, we really wouldn't enjoy. Can I just say this? I know you guys liked it. We saw Mank, right? We saw the alternative. <laughs> we saw the really realistic note for note. This is how it would feel if we were in this time period. And it was. <laughs> so I like the new. Let's put on the Tarantino goggles. Let's put on the, the uh, Paul Thomas Anderson goggles. Let's put on the Damien Chazelle goggles. And let's have the 20s be fun and a little bit over the top and maybe a little bit more modern than they really were and I that is why I loved the movie and that is why I slept through Mank because although I appreciate the technical like note for note sort of symmetry between Mank the film and the way that the period was and the way a film like Citizen Kane felt and looked boy was that boring and boy do I not to this day still enjoy movies and time periods like that and like Citizen Kane so to me like that was such a waste of David Fincher and his like natural sensibilities and things like that but he clearly was very you know wanted to honor the time period Chazelle I feel like honored the time period in his own way the same way that Tarantino honored the 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 60s in the 50s in his own way with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Why people were so easily able to suspend their disbelief with Licorice Pizza and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and not with this movie is beyond me. But I found this to be like the natural successor in this great string of movies we've had. The thing I say, and to keep going back to Babylon, because if you can't tell, I'm fired up, um, <laughs> is that if Boogie Nights, which is so well regarded and so beloved by you know the ringers of the world and Bill Simmons, whatnot, if that masterpiece of a movie came out today, I, I would have to get off Twitter because I'm telling you that the, the, the people who are trying to ruin Babylon for everyone would have really tried to ruin that movie. And thank God it came out in 1996 or whenever, 197, because none of this stuff existed and people could just enjoy it for what it was. But like, 
you know, do you know the discourse would be going around and be like, people would be tweeting like, I have no idea why he had to go to Alfred Molina's house at the end. And did we really need the scene in the limo with the hand job? Like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's what we would get today. And instead, we just get Boogie Nights is dope. And I feel like that's what Babylon yeah. is. It needs a little bit of suspension of like, he's throwing a lot at the wall. 80% of it sticks. The other stuff doesn't. But like, wow, how great is that 80%? And the same thing with, with Margot Robbie's performance, to bring it back to this, is I just thought, I mean, she is, the fact that Margot Robbie who to me is like, I mean, clearly she is one of the you know most beautiful, talented people in the world for two hours, or in this case, three hours can time and time again, she did it in Itanya, make you believe that you like would rather be yourself than her. And that like, she is a loathsome person who you cannot stand and you would not even loan her a dollar if she asked for it. It is like, to me, the most impressive thing in the world that she can, in my opinion, disappear into these roles and create these characters. And this to me was like a cross between her Wolf of Wall Street character and her I, Tanya character set in the 20s, navigating through this world of Hollywood. And I thought it was awesome and brilliant. And I was captivated for every second. So the fact that she's not here for me to vote for, it sucks. Uh, but it, to me, puts full steam ahead for Babylon and Ensemble because that means, hey, if you love Mar Margot Robbie, you know, vote for the Ensemble. If you love Brad Pitt, if you love Diego Calva, who we'll get to when we talk about lead, vote for them in Ensemble because I think that the the initial fear was that one of these folks was going to get nominated um, and that maybe it'd be Margot Robbie, whatever, um, and that the Ensemble would maybe not get the get the love. And here it's actually the opposite, something I did not expect. I, I When I saw that movie, I penciled in Margot Robbie with a bullet in like the two or three spot here. I thought it was like, you know, Blanchett's a lock, Michelle Yeoh's a lock, Margot Robbie's mm. a lock, and I was wrong. So, well, you you're characterizing a lot of voters that uh, Scott Feinberg comes on and talks to us about every year in the sense that, you know, that if their movie misses or if they're just going to go with their guts at the end of the day, they're going to go with their principles, they're going to go with their, what they loved on an Oscars ballot, and you're confirming a lot of. Uh, uh, of, of what he reports on at the end of the day, uh, like or at the end of the year, I should say. Uh, but look, at, I guess if we're going to look at this from a handicapping pundit's perspective, not talking to the voters on the ground, do you come out of the Golden Globes, guys? And Michael, maybe I'll leave it with you here. Do you come out of the Golden Globes and say this is a two-person race between Michelle Yeoh and Kate Blanchett? Or do you see this category being able to you know, spread down the card to an Anna Armas, or maybe Michelle Williams has snub powers. Maybe Margot Robbie has snub powers. Well, Michael. Michelle Williams missing. I, I don't Who's number three. Who would you even categorize? As well, Deadweiler probably from, from based on Vegas, Deadweiler is because look at Vegas right now is you have yo as plus plus one thirty eight, whatever that number means, Michael and Blanchett as minus minus one thirty eight, And then the next is 16 to one for Deadweiler and Davis. Yes, I mean, well, that's what I'm talking about. 16 to 1 is a far cry from <laughs> oh, pay a dollar, get a dollar 30 back. So, yeah, this is a, as far as I think it was a two person race going into the Globes, too. I mean, I think this is just it's, it's right. Blanchett and, and Yo are those two performances. And there's a lot of love for both of those movies, both of those performances. And I have to I love Tar. I was one of my favorite movies of the year. And now I have to hate it forever because people just refuse to, to back <laughs> down. And, you know, that's how it is now. I hold grudges. Uh, our, our colleagues and friends on Twitter are giving us a hard time over that. Yeah, I don't blame I them, though, based on... Can thing about Tar? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I'm, <laughs> and this is admitting that I'm, in fact, a, a moron, but uh, Tar was one of the few no. movies I saw I saw very before even the nominating committee process started. So I saw this in the theater um, here in New York, 
and it was so early that I went and I thought it was about a real person. So did I. And I saw and I saw the movie and I get out and I start googling Lydia Tar yep. and the only thing the only thing that comes up are two things. One is the Wikipedia for the movie Tar and then one is like an op-ed from like Jezebel or something that says like uh, why you can't google Lydia Tar, she's a fake person, you're an idiot. And so then I went through this second wave of appreciation for the movie cuz I'm watching the movie and I'm both loving the movie, but I'm also the like logistical part of my brain is like, oh, wow, this seems like this stuff happened pretty recently. Like, wow, they really turned this story around real quick. And then like, I'm, oh, this stuff sounds like it happened during yeah. the pandemic. But yet there's like not really a lot of like mask mm-hmm. wearing and stuff. And then, and, then, and, then, and then I'm like, and then I'm thinking like, I wonder an EGOT winner for score. Yep. Like, I feel like I would know, I would know who this person is. But you know what? Maybe she's German. Eh, who knows? Uh, and then I, so then I watched the movie and obviously the character has like problematic elements to her and things like that. And, you know. Uh, and then I come out of the movie, find out she's a fake person, and then I was able to enjoy the movie so much more because I'm like, oh wait, there's like no like real victims, like there's no like real people. To, like, it's just like all completely fabricated in this like well crafted character and story to kind of make us question like you know a little bit about cancel culture and things like that and about you know navigating yeah. through this you know world that I didn't know a lot about of the you know things right. like that. And so I both like watched the movie and still appreciated it, but very much thought I was learning about a real life story I just didn't know about. And then afterwards, it would be like if I came out of like 13 lives and then found out that that was all like, which again is a movie I loved and somehow is not winning or getting nominated for anything, but it's in my top 10. Um, like it's the opposite with that. Like I managed to watch that movie and like I knew that they I knew that they made it, but like I didn't know how many people died along the way and things like that. So I was able to kind of watch that movie with blinders on as well, and then afterwards watch the the uh, the documentary. But it would be like finding out that that was a story that Ron Howard just created on a napkin or something right. like that. So kudos to Todd Field because so much of it felt so real. I was yeah. like, I bet you that they transcribed her actual interview and they're like re- note for note like redoing her TED talk. And no, he wrote that. And the person who plays that journalist just like note for note asked her those questions in a very pretentious journalist way. Uh, there was just something so note for note perfect about that that I was like, this has to be like a recreation of an actual interview <laughs> at Lincoln Center because it just feels so familiar. I had the exact anyway, same so. beats and the exact same experience. Um, I, just, I happened to watch it at home, so I was able to Google it in the moment. I was like, oh, this is all fabricated. This is all fake. And that's been my stance with Tar the entire way, that it's you know it's such a good story and it's such a great performance by Kate Blanchett. I think those should be... The, what carries it to nomination more so than Todd Fields directing. And I got, well, and we don't need any that. discourse about like, should we be honoring right. the Lydia Tarr yeah. story? Cause Lydia Tarr <laughs> is a bad person. Like, like remember when Margot Rye was like, should we really yeah. be shining a light on Tanya Harding here? It's like, we're not. Mm-hmm. Yes. She's getting a little residual bump in her Q rating, but it's like whenever someone plays a bad person and like the mm-hmm. real life antics of the person begin to be coming to the narrative of the acting performance, yeah. I'm like, but yet Anthony Hopkins can play a fake person who eats people and everyone's like, give him a statue. <laughs> so, so it's like, here it is. It's like, all it needs is to be a fake person without real people getting eaten. You saw with Dahmer, right? There was a thing. Yeah. I saw a lot of things being written around yeah. Halloween because Dahmer came out right around Halloween. So there was a lot of Jeffrey Dahmer costumes and like Buzzfeed was like, don't dress up as Jeffrey Dahmer yep. for Halloween. There's real victims in play. And it's like, yeah, it's Halloween. You're supposed to be scaring people, but, but I kind of got where they're going with it. And the thing is like, but now it's a Netflix show. So now like no matter what, yes, there really were people in the 90s who were eaten and killed and yada yada. But now it is a thing people are watching on Netflix and people are dressing like that guy. They're dressing like Evan Peters. They're dressing like the character. They're dressing like the costume designer intended. Same thing with this. It's like, like, like it or not, it makes it so much easier to root for this role and performance because she's not really a person that like the people are going to want us to like be careful when you're praising Kate Blanchett because there's a real woman yeah. there who was really insensitive to that guy at NYU. <laughs> 
It's fiction. And it might be fiction that's too soon, but it, it but it's fiction, guys. I mean, we get it. I mean, that's the power of this thing. The power of this uh, uh, this whole thing we call Hollywood movie making. And uh, look, I was saying back during the New York Film Festival that I wanted Todd Field to win Best Original Screenplay. And I wanted Kate Blanchett just having, you know, seen her put it, put it on... Uh, you know, put that performance down. I mean, New York was just blown away by Kate Blanchett's performance there. Look, I think Michelle Yeoh, and I agree with Feinberg, and I agree with Vegas in the sense that Michelle Yeoh is a major contender in this category, Michael. But just be, <laughs> I'm not going to get into it so much today. We're not talking about director. I love me some Ryan McQuaid. He did send the torches and pitchforks after us with that tweet, though, Michael. Bring it on. A 92-page screenplay. <laughs> A 92-page screenplay cannot be a two-hour two and 40-minute film unless you write another 60 pages of screenplay, 70 pages of Or you're of a bad director. Or you're just <laughs> you're not directing like he Sorry. directs. You're directing like uh, the director of The Eternal Daughter and The Souvenirs. Oh, yeah. I'm losing her name. She's awesome. The souvenir director. I can't think of it off the top Souvenir of director is The Eternal Daughter, The Souvenir... Oh, my God. Here we go. We do this every episode, Scott. So welcome to the Mike, Mike, and Oscar experience. Joanna Hogg. <laughs> Joanna Hogg yeah, directs yeah. in a different way. Maybe Todd Field directs in that way. I doubt it because he's been such a, a, a writer. It's a well-directed movie. Yeah. My point was the DGA doesn't need to be all five men, and nobody heard <laughs> In that. such a talky oh, well. movie, I would be shocked do do? if that screenplay, I know it was published on Variety at 92 pages. I would be shocked if the shooting script was anything less than 200 something pages the screenplay point too is part of what like made me confused when i still thought i was watching like a biopic like scott said too because right. i was like how is this an original screenplay contender if lydia tar is a real person this is a biopic it has to be adapted but dude i had go. that, that with my, the uh, score but because my, my, fr- my yeah. friend was like yeah my friend's a publicist she's like yeah we're representing the score and uh hilder I forget her last name, or I can't pronounce. I'm not even going to attempt to say her last name. But she, who won for the Joker? <laughs> and I'm watching this movie, and mm-hmm. I go, I go, how is there a how is a, another? Why isn't she? Isn't this all her music? I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like, hold on. And then I come out of it, and then I like texted my friend. I, I go, I go, oh, so she did all the music. I get it now. Kate Blanchett is playing a fake person. The music in it is fake music made by a real composer in real life who doesn't have an EGOT and also didn't harass people. Oh, this is perfect. You know? <laughs> uh, but but I no, I will say it is a two, I think, two horse race here with, with her and, and uh, Michelle Yeoh. Um, mm-hmm. And what I'll say is um, I think there's, depending on how the odds shake out, I'd probably say Vegas is probably smart enough to keep it down to where you're not making a ton of money on either one of them. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if Michelle Yeoh, because Michelle Yeoh, I will say, is the better story at this point. Oh, yeah. um, and, and she you, deserves one. She deserves an Oscar by now. Yeah, for deserves yeah. an Oscar. Great story. Great speech. Uh, you know, famously, uh, I believe Blanchett was not at the Golden Globes, didn't get the chance to make the speech. But, you know, I think we kind of feel like although her her wins, you know, Blue Jasmine, not so far uh, ago, but kind of still feels like it was in the, you know, a, a while back. And then the Aviator, you know, a lot of people don't love that performance. But it's like she's kind of in this middle ground where it feels like she wins more often than she does. Uh, which I think is a knock against her. She kind of feels like old faithful here. It's not. There's not. There's almost like nothing fun about giving an Oscar to someone like a Kate Blanchett. But 
to, to kind of immediately negate that, if that was the case, Frances McDormand is in the same category, and we seem to just be giving her Oscars every year at this point now. So I <laughs> uh, wouldn't be surprised to see it be Kate Blanchett, <laughs> and I'd be totally happy if it was. But I also, uh, upset-wise, if it's still considered an upset at the time, I think Michelle Yeoh very much still in play. I would, disc- I would say yep. no one else has a chance, and I'm fine with that because for me, like Viola – in, in The Woman King, I'm glad she's here because I'm glad it like shines the light on this performance and this movie. I don't awesome think it is a winning... It's an awesome performance, but in the same way that like Russell Crowe in Gladiator is an awesome performance, and I was surprised. Uh, did he win for that? I forget. I th- I th- like, uh, like To me, it's like, these okay. are great like movie-carrying performances, and these are performances that... And like Tom Cruise in Top Gun Maverick is like a great example of this too, where I feel like these are, these are performances that are 99 out of 100 times, and this is the 100th time, are given to men. And like finally this film and this role was given to a woman and not just a woman, but a great actress in Viola Davis. But it's like a movie like this doesn't call for a performance like Viola can give in offenses or, or, or in a doubt or something like that. So it's like, so do I think this needs to win for her? No, I think even just nominating it, hopefully will shine more of a light on a movie that already did fairly well at the box office. So I had the luxury of seeing that in the theater. I saw it in a sold out SAG room and that movie got as many applause breaks as like your average Star Wars, Marvel, you name it movie got. And like, I was just like the fact that this movie is like a 95% female cast. Boyega's great in it as well. But, Mm. but like, you know, and that, and it's an action movie. It's a note for note action movie directed by the woman who directed love and basketball. I was just like, (laughs) like you just don't see this a lot. So I'm glad that she, uh, I wish it was more than just her representing the movie, but at least she gets in. But by the same token, I don't think, that there's enough with the role to to get past those other two. I just there's so much that Michelle Yeoh has to do. There's so much yeah. that that Kate Blanchett has to do. Uh, and although Viola very much carries her movie as well, that I did feel was more of an ensemble, which is why I was hoping to see it an ensemble. And sadly, we we didn't get it. Russell Crowe did beat uh, Tom Hanks and Castaway for the 2000 uh, Oscar there, and he beat Jeffrey Rush, Ed Harris, and and Javier Bardem as well. Yeah, I'm seeing this similarly to you guys at the end of the day. As much as uh as much as an Anna de Armas, Margot Robbie, or certainly uh we've we've already seen it at Gotham with uh Danielle Deadweiler, as much as they could have a chance, Viola Davis could have a chance, probably coming down to those two, like we're saying, Michael, but I guess we can get into lead actor where it's probably coming down to three performances and Vegas kinda agrees we're still holding out hope that Brendan Fraser is going to crash this party at some point, but Austin Butler winning the globe for Elvis, Colin Farrell winning the globe for the Banshees of Inisherin, Brendan Fraser from the whale, Bill Nye of living. And he won uh, the LA award. He's not missed. He seems to be in that fourth spot, but guys, we got to, you know, we got to pause and say, we're happy for Adam Sandler in hustle. We're happy for Scott Feinberg vindication, Michael. <laughs> mm, of course. Uh, and, yeah. and the Gotham tribute was hilarious and funny. And the Indie Spirits, oh my God, that after the Safties gave a fun, funny speech last year at the Indie Spirits, Adam Sandler gave up a, a hilarious speech at the Indie Spirits. And was it last year, maybe two years ago? Good God, time is a flat circle. But Tom Cruise is out at SAG. Paul Mescal is out. At SAG, after both of them got Critics' Choice and Bafta Longlist, Jeremy Pope, Diego Calva, Hugh Jackman, Daniel Craig, Ray Fiennes all got Golden Globe nominations, but they did not get a lead actor nom at SAG. And Daniel Kaluuya, Harris Dickinson, Felix Kammerer, Daryl McCormick all got uh, 
all got baffed along list. Excuse me, Adam Adam Driver got something too in there. I believe it was a Globe. Yeah, he got um, nominated for the Golden Globe Award in a movie yeah. that I think more people have turned off than finished. If I had to guess, <laughs> <laughs> how dare they? It's a weird, weird, funny movie. I rewatched it. It wasn't as good of a rewatch, even though it was a. And I watched it with my brother on a Sunday night, and he hated it, and he grilled me on it. But uh, shout out to uh, Andrew Morgan who loves the movie with me and who uh, we cheers Guinness and uh, and uh, key lime pie and burgers together at PJ Clark's after watching that sucker <laughs> in New York guys. But all right. Fraser's plus 138 Farrell's plus 175 Butler's plus 350. Michael, what are you putting money? On? Are you putting money on Butler? Butler's still 350 It as of this morning. I, I don't if have you're giving the... me more than two to one on Butler. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Scott? Oh, I think any time you can get plus 350 on a guy like Austin <laughs> Butler, you just got to be able to take it is what you got to do. Uh, being someone who played a lot of music in Vegas, I can say that Vegas rarely makes mistakes. Like, no, no. okay. Here's what I'll say. Um, <laughs> Brennan Frazier in The Whale is one of the best performances I've ever seen. And I will say, to make a comparison, everyone's laughing about Butler kind of retaining a bit of that performance. I went to see The Whale here in New York, panel afterwards, Brendan Fraser and uh, Aronofsky was there, Sadie Sink was there. I feel like Brendan Fraser has also kept with him a little bit of the essence of this role in The Whale. Like, wow. I will be honest, I was not watching or I'm not, I don't have a great memory of like him on talk shows when he was in Airheads and The Mummy and stuff. But I don't remember him talking and acting so tentatively and in, in the way he does now, which, you He's know, so again, shy now. Yeah, yeah, he has this lack of confidence, which, again, is endearing when you see a movie star sure. sort of be so humble and gracious in sort of accepting. I mean, you've seen him like you can really read it on his face when he yeah. gets standing ovations. And we gave him a standing ovation at the Lincoln Center Theater when I saw this movie. And you could and I was in the front row and I could see this guy. He wasn't doing the fake. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I know I'm good in this movie. You know, he was doing the, the same thing that like, you know, you're your cousin yeah. does at his bar mitzvah you know like like he was yeah. literally like like he was proud and also shocked that people liked and appreciated this movie as much as we appreciated my cousin's Torah portion so here's what I'll say is like <laughs> that to me is something that I could be wrong and he may have had that back in the day when he was like in blast from the past with with uh you know and and with, you know, when he was like you know leading man opposite Alicia Silverstone and Elizabeth uh what was it Elizabeth Berkeley is her name like Hurley yeah. Hurley but I don't think that he had that and so this is something that along the way he developed and don't get me wrong I I don't want to be insensitive because I know he's obviously gone through some trauma that's very much been on yeah. the front pages with the Golden Globes and things like that. So it might be due to some other real life things and stuff like that very much so. But I wonder also like having just watched him on screen playing this role and having a lot of that in this performance. Like I wonder how much of this naturally was in him or has been like, you know, in him that was perfectly suited for this performance or vice versa has kind of crept into him post-performance the same way we're sort of laughing at Austin Butler for talking like this and like <laughs> I said the same thing Rami Malek people came back at me on Twitter saying Rami Malek didn't talk with a British accent after he played Freddie Mercury he didn't but he did talk with like a lot of the fanfare and a lot of the like Trust me, I saw, I went to, when he filmed SNL, I was there. He goes, ladies and gentlemen, young thug. And I'm like, he didn't, <laughs> after short term 12, he's not introducing him that way. I'm telling you that right now. So there's a bit of like keeping some of these performances with you. And ironically, I think Frazier and Butler have both done that. I had them both in easily. I had Frazier, Butler, I had Calva, I had Chalamet, who I mentioned, and I actually in my fifth spot put Ray Fines for the menu. Um, however, in my sixth spot, <laughs> 
ahead of Colin Farrell, who I think a lot of people had penciled in. Again, I thought he was great in it, but I just really hated that movie. I almost cut off my fingers watching that movie. Um, (laughs) But in the sixth spot, here I have, and this is why I am not surprised to see him there as much as he's probably the most shocking member of this ballot, is Adam Sandler. And part of the reason is I actually didn't go to any of those events, although I got all the stuff in the mail and the DVDs that I threw in the trash and the invites and whatnot, because I'd already seen the movie like the day it dropped on Netflix. But I have Hustle at like ranked my 13th favorite movie of the year, which in a deep year, like is a very high ranking. I have it in between The Whale and Glass Onion, like it's ahead of The Fablemans. I'm a basketball fan. I love this movie. I thought he was great in it. I thought it's probably my second favorite modern Adam Sandler performance after, of course, Uncut Gems. It's a little bit bittersweet to see him getting love for this movie and not that movie. You wonder if there's a little bit of making up for that with this. But either way, like... You know, I think he has no chance of winning and probably no chance of getting this slot at the Oscars, which I think is interesting and like kind of opens up who gets that fifth slot there. But or not even fifth, who gets the the third and, and fourth slots there? Um, but like, because I think uh, I think that again, I, I think Frazier, Butler, and Farrell are our three locks here. Um, but so Adam Sandler, I think I, I'm delighted that he is uh, nominated here. I thought everything in that movie worked for me, other than the me not buying for a second him and Queen Latifah as a married couple. But other than that, there was just something off with the energy, and I didn't really buy Ben Foster. But but like the basketball players in that movie are doing great, <laughs> subtle performances. Uh, he's awesome in it. It's a feel good movie. If you're a ba- like, there's a montage in that movie where they decide to go. I, if you guys have seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. Where they decide to like go mm-hmm. viral by like having him go to play pickup games and like block people shots and things like that and i got <laughs> goosebumps during that part i'm like this is such a well-made movie uh sandler's great and it carries the whole thing so among the people nominated i mean i would say like among the best actors nominated here i will say that obviously brendan frazier with the bullets my number one i i have call it i i have adam sandler as my second favorite performance here because i like <laughs> i appreciate what austin butler does in elvis but it's like again like put it in there with the countless pretty good impression biopic performances I've seen. Colin Farrell's good, but in a movie I hated. Bill Nye, I'm really sorry. Bill Nye, I'm really sorry, but I prefer the science guy. I did not like <laughs> this movie. I found it boring. I found it one note, and I and I think this is sort of a career achievement nomination. I'm happy for him to get it, but I just did snoozer for me. Sandler is my second favorite performance in this category after Brennan Fraser. I don't know that Sandler, I mean, he's not going to win, obviously. I don't know that he'll get nominated. Maybe he will, but I think something I a point I made in our last episode. We're now in the timeline where Adam Sandler is going to win a lead actor Oscar. Like it's going to happen at some point. He's he's rubbing shoulders with all the right people. He's always at these award shows. He's making everyone laugh respectfully as opposed to the idiocy that was more jackassy behavior when he was, you know, Billy Madison and making us laugh as kids growing up. So and and we're all now the adults and so he's going to have that swath of support in the academy uh whether it's him rubbing shoulders with the right people or because he entertained us all throughout our lives and now we're old enough to be in the academy and vote. It's just going to happen. So yeah, I can completely understand. Who do you think does get that fifth i mean we're we're on the the assumption that naive is going to be number four because he has the resume it does stack up so who do you think when we get to the oscar nominating time scott is going to be that fifth nominee yeah it sucks because again like uh, i i like although i did not vote for him i didn't even have him on my long list i do think bill naive has that that narrative and i do think he pencil him in for that christopher Plummer slot like for sure so i i do think he gets in there Mm. i lean towards paul mescal for for after sun which i will say so what i'll say about that movie also, I watched it and I was like, that's it. Like, I, I'm sorry. Like, I know, like, I look, I, I like yeah. a nice small indie. I'm not like super biased where like, just give me the big gaudy movies and things like that. But like the movie to me is like, it's very, that's it. Like, so, so. 
But I will say, comparing him to Bill Nye, I watched it and was like, oh, no, this guy's got something. And this is like the first, I think, real glimpse of we're getting of this something. And then what what I think about him is, I, rumors are he's going to be playing maybe the Russell Crowe role or something similar in the mm-hmm. Gladiator sequel. He might be en route mm-hmm. to a sort of career launching pad off of this. So while it seems like getting blanked here might be a death spell for him, I think he's still on the BAFTA list. Like, I could see him getting in there and then also getting this fifth spot here. Um, Sandler, dude, it sucks because that year for Uncut Gems was like a loaded year. Um, and it was, I believe it was 2019, right? So it was, it was the year of DiCaprio and Joaquin Phoenix and Adam Driver. And I forget who else got in that year over Adam Sandler, but in a weird way, I feel like he has still retained the sort of cue that he, and the sort of bump as if he got nominated, that was still his like onto the scene sort of that Mm. movie was so well received. It was such a great movie year. It was the last movie year before the pandemic and things like that, where that was still, I think. He's almost like it's almost like he was nominated for that movie and is now Mm -hmm. getting sort of the bump of like, okay, you're a serious actor now, even though he didn't get the nomination. It's almost like mentally we almost I'll tell you right now, like I remember that performance is light years ahead of whoever the other two slots were. I don't know who they were, but I don't remember them as much as the three I just named and Sandler. Um, This movie, again, is more of like a fun movie. He doesn't have to go to any like what's the what's the clip for this movie? Right. Like when they show when they're saying the names and they say Adam Sandler and hustle, like what clip are they showing where you're like, that guy should win. So I feel like the other four guys here that we've named have that as does. um, Although Bill Nye, I feel like the Bill Nye in this movie is such a like a 1993 nominated performance for like Howard's End or something (laughs) stupid and random where when they do the rewatchables for when we do the when they do the rewatchables of. uh you know, what's, what's a good example? Top, Top Gun Maverick, which I think they've already done. So when they do the rewatchables of another movie from this year. So let's see, what would be a rewatchables from this year? When they do the Babylon rewatchables and, <laughs> you know, in 2024 and they talk about, wait, how did Diego Calvin not get nominated again? Let's see who's nominated. Bill Nye for living. What the <laughs> like, what Bill Nye for living? That's going to be the one yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so well, Jonathan Price would have probably been the one that you would have gone against in 2019 when Uncut Gems came out. Oh, even gosh. though i mean yeah because i mean two antonio popes, right? banderas was... oh but he was good though i'll say i thought yep. for that two popes movie which i expected to hate i thought both of them hmm. really because i don't look i'll be honest i don't like I, you could tell by my bar mitzvah reference earlier i don't spend a lot of time watching the popes but like i thought <laughs> both of them did capture the essence of those popes and like i thought the casting was perfect because like i don't know if you guys are i assume at least one of you because that that normally is how this works is like one of you guys likes wrestling and the other one likes the other thing i like so one of you guys probably loves game of thrones <laughs> when when john price thrones, hits game me. when he hit game of thrones as the yeah. uh whatever they call them the uh i forget what the name of the character is but he's, the, sparrow, the sparrow the high, the high sparrow. sparrow everyone immediately <laughs> did the side by side between him and the pope and it was uncanny. And the fact that they then went to cast that Pope and they were like, get me the right. guy who is exactly like him. I thought it was perfect. So, yeah, I, it might have been Price who took his spot. I think there was someone else, too. It was a loaded year. Well, Banderas came off the top rope from Pain, with Pain, that's Pain and the, Glory. That's the yeah. one. Okay. He's good, though, in there. It's, sure, it's... but he's not. Nobody's memeing his this is how I win from that. I mean, <laughs> I just think. Well, yeah, yeah. Adam Driver, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Joaquin Phoenix. That was a loaded year uh, for Adam Sandler to get. A fourth over the, you know, I mean, just a, a loud performance in, in that year. They did pick two actors, actors performances with Banderas. You didn't get the Mike Price, Francesa bump. That's a shame. 
so he did not. I, I will movie. say, so I, I mentioned had, I mean, look, the, the movie, we've talked about it. Not, no need to kind of linger on the bones and all thing, but I had Shalman. Ray Fiennes, I'm not like completely ruling him out of maybe a spoiler <laughs> fifth slot here. It'd be here. fun. Here, I mean, it, certainly, it would certainly be a way to talk about the Oscar noms, yeah. The reason Guys, being, you can't. Go ahead. No, you can't rule anybody out because we're talking about this category. It is deep and it is deep in precursors. It's deep in back to the long list. I there, I said it to Mike the other day, Scott. Like, I would I would be shocked by almost anything that happens. I would be shocked if Sandler or Cruz get nominated at this point. I would be shocked if Mescal got in, and I would be shocked. I like I'm going to be pleasantly surprised by whoever Jeremy Pope or Calva get in. It would be, it's going to be fun. So I guess uh, let me just put this in there. Put this out into the world. Scott, you you said you don't think Sandler gets nominated for Hustle, but when do you think Adam Sandler's first Oscar nomination comes? A, Hustle. B, Michael, Spaceman. We've talked about (laughs) the Carrie Mulligan Netflix movie directed by the Chernobyl uh, miniseries guy. Uh, The Untitled Safdie Brothers Project. This could be about anything, fellas. It's about baseball card collecting. It oh is. my that's god! That's the one. That's the yeah. one right there. I'll something right else. There. You that, that's what it come is. Come on, you really think he's all right? Well, I mean, the Safdie brothers probably paid their dues already in terms of the Academy, so that could make some sense. Um, right. No, I would say that's probably the one, just based on the <laughs> you know, because I think what would happen is based on him getting back together with those guys is you'd have a lot of people revisiting Uncut Gems. Mm-hmm. If agree. it's in a similar world, obviously you know, sports adjacent, it sounds like, and then it's mm. all about the. And, and you know what sucks about a lot of this, which is why you always go back and you, you wonder what you know. It, it it also is a lot the competition in the year, right? So it's like you know. Because although, you know, it seems like, you know, in 2019, there's a perfect fifth slot slot for him. Like, let's just say like, you know, the three that we penciled in, like sometimes it's not like there needs to be an obvious five. There just needs to be an obvious three and then like enough for that weird four pick and that, you know, person who comes in. You mentioned Banderas, you know, this year there's that Bill Nye, like Bill Nye in living is not a performance. Anyone's going to remember, in my opinion, it's in five years, people are going to it's going to be the trivia thing that you get wrong. So you don't get the gift card out on the Thursday night. (laughs) That's the fifth one you can't come up with. And the guy who came up with it, you know, he went in the bathroom and looked on his phone. And so, like, but that being said, he is, as we all agreed, kind of a lock for that slot. Like, it's one of those things that's kind of this weird thing that that disappears from the ether after a certain point of time. But, you know, like, those things are almost get in the way more than, you know, the people you might think that they're competing for for the spot between. So it's like... You know, it's 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 interesting with Tom Cruise because you sent me the Feinberg list. He still has Cruise on there. Like Cruise was was uh, was he nominated at the Globes? Cruise was uh, nominated at Critics Choice, yeah, not, not at the, the Globes. Globes. So he's nominated he gave Critics back Choice. Three Globes, gave back his yeah. Golden Globes, which you can you can decide whether that played the part or not. Right? Uh, mm-hmm. Does it get nominated here at SAG? Um, I don't know why Cruise is the you know people keep penciling in Cruise. Um, I wouldn't be. I mean. The year that people point to sometimes is when Bradley Cooper kind of swept in last minute for uh, American Sniper. Uh, But that was a late year thing. Like that movie was a late year breaker, whereas like Top Gun has been with us all year. I feel like Top Gun, the movie, I think there's a little bit of residual dislike. I don't want to dislike, but it's weirdness for Cruz. Like, you know, like I almost like, again, I wanted to I, I wanted to nominate this movie for ensemble, which I did. But in no way, mm-hmm. shape, or form did I like leap at the opportunity to nominate Tom Cruise. Like I, 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 and he's very integral to the movie. Movie doesn't work without him. He's doing a great thing in the movie, and he is himself, and he does all the stunts and everything like that. But I don't know. I don't think he's the 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 five spot here. I don't think he gets in. And so, um, 
If he does, I think it's a show of strength towards Top Gun's best picture chances. And look, right. even though I wouldn't necessarily pick him, I think it's fun, you know, and I think it'd be a fun member of the ballot because I will say this ballot mm-hmm. without him or without Sandler or, you know, like the ballot we have here, I think is snooze fest because, uh, again, as much as I love Brendan Fraser in The Whale, like that movie is just not like a fun movie to talk about or revisit <laughs> or anything like that. Yeah. Um, Austin Butler is the closest thing that we have to someone being fun. But like, again, I just think it's, it's this performance that's being kind of superficially propped up. Like I, I, I wish we could kind of get away, get away from penciling in these performances. Like one of my, one, one of my most famous and, and like the things that I, sometimes I just wake up like on a random Tuesday mad that Rami Malek beat Bradley Cooper. Like just, just, and like, and, and so like that, like all our audience right now is just nodding their head, yep. like in huge, I wake up and I'm gift. like, why am I annoyed today? Wait, wait, is it, is it, <laughs> did I sleep on the wrong side of my neck? Na- oh, you know what it is? Rami Malek beat Bradley Cooper when all he did was an impression yeah. and didn't sing. And Bradley Cooper, Turned into Eddie Vedder for like three Turned years of his and life. Made bangers. And like they put out some bangers. Like yeah. literally performed <laughs> songs that were like I was playing at the gym. Like mm-hmm. and, and like I, I mean, come on. Like like I honestly like I feel like he I don't know if it was makeup or not, but I'm pretty sure he like got skin cancer just to look like an alcoholic. <laughs> like I, like I watched that movie and I'm like, like you realize like you watch that performance of that movie and obviously it's acting, so I don't know how much should be made of this, but he did that after getting sober and like re- really had none of the real life qualities of this guy at the mm-hmm. time. That's even before you get to the skill of playing guitar and singing that mm-hmm. he just like discovered at age 42 or whatever. The fu- anyway, I digress. But so Butler is like, <laughs> I, I don't think, and, and what sucks is at the time I saw Bohemian Rhapsody in the theater. And as a queen fan, I like really enjoyed the movie. But by the end of that award cycle, I like really spited the movie for all that it yep. did to the other uh, contenders. And with this one, Elvis did not resonate with me the same way. I'm not like a huge fan of the hmm. movie. It's fine. Uh, I think I have it ranked. Like, where do I have Elvis ranked? Like, I have it like 30 this year, you know? So, like, but, you know, it's almost yeah, in a weird way. It's you, like, you like the movie. Yeah. It's like one of the more fun performances we're talking about. Cause again, Colin Farrell is like, he's so good, but so good at doing mm. this thing. It's like, like, imagine, like, I mean, we obviously know about the movie and have seen the movie and this role that it plays in the award cycle. But imagine explaining to like your cousin Tammy <laughs> the movie that is Banshees of Oh, oh, Tam, you got to see it. You know what it is? So it's about, it's like this, it's this like yeah. Irish, like adjacent island where, oh, you're going to love this. There, there's two guys, they, they they drink all the time. They sit, they, they normally, they sit around drinking all the time, but not in this movie. In this movie, one of them goes yeah. to find the other one to drink, but get this, you're going to love this. He doesn't want to drink with him. So then he just, so then he keeps going. But, oh, and then this other kid comes into play. He's got this cop dad who beats the crap out of him. And then, and then he goes back and he still doesn't want to drink with him. So then he just keeps, he goes back, he talks to his wife. He goes, can you believe it? The guy doesn't want to drink with me. And she's like, well, maybe he doesn't like it. And he's like, do you think he doesn't like me? And then he goes back to him so many times. The guy ends up actually cutting his own fingers off and then they burn two houses down you're gonna love it tam um you might be making the argument for why austin butler is gonna win this from the third lane and i guess (laughs) i guess i have to ask you guys this to brag guys i love this i love this discussion we're gonna be talking about it for the next few months scott but like does brendan frazier win this sag award and that puts him back into this thing and is that the case you're making necessarily because we just saw butler and and farrell split it at the globes i don't know what's going to happen at critics choice i'm guessing it's not the whale being nominated for pga i think puts brendan frazier back in it 
I mean, why well, else would at, that be nominated? Mike, does do you think Farrell is kind of the tip of the hat? He's got 25 wins on the critics circle. I know I say this every year and it never, or it, it sometimes plays out, but the critics award scoreboard guy doesn't necessarily win lead actor, but Colin Farrell is leading that group. Can you see this race continuing to go in opposite directions? Do you see Farrell winning the critics choice? Do you see Fraser winning and do you see Butler maybe coming back to win the Oscar because of Scott's argument that I know he's not trying to make? Well, here's what's <laughs> weird about you the, are giving reason. The Globes thing is weird because there's the weird. So I was wrong about this, right? But so for those who don't know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this have at least heard it in some capacity. There's a, a really tainted history between Brendan Fraser and the Globes. Someone affiliated oh, yeah. with the Globes, you know, harassed him or abused him and yeah. this and that. And that's why he famously would not be at this Globes, nor does he go to the Globes at all. In the mm-hmm. scheme of the Globes trying to rewrite their tainted past from a racial perspective, and I honestly tossed this in there, I thought we were going to see a lot of things. This, And we did see uh, quite a few of them. We saw a host who threw so so many you know brash jokes at their expense that you were like, wow, they mm-hmm. clearly did not have – they did not say no to anything, which is great. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Then you saw a very diverse both you know uh, nominations body and like, I mean – uh, winners as well. So clearly, again, you're like, okay, it's as if if you ju- if you were born yesterday and watched the Globes, you would assume nothing of their racial bias or their lack of diversity among them, etc. Okay, mm. good, they nailed all those Finally. things. And then what a lot of pundits assumed was because of the backlash and uh, because not the backlash because of the history with Frazier and because of him not being there, that Austin Butler would win this award. I incorrectly assumed this was a wrong they would also write and that Brendan Fraser would win this award because of it and that there would be a lot of people in the Hollywood Foreign Press who said, hey, that guy might have this awful history of Brendan Fraser. The past Hollywood Foreign Press might have a tainted history of Brendan Fraser. That is not the Hollywood Foreign Press of today and he is by far the better performance. And don't get me wrong. It may have not had anything to do with that and they genuinely thought Austin Butler was a better performance than than Brendan Fraser and that is fine and hypothetically we have to believe that. But... What I will say is this, actors, okay? And I am not a Stanislavski-trained actor by any means, although I did have a film uh, drama major at Syracuse University. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you gotta, if you watch these two movies, think, in my opinion, that Brendan Fraser is delivering a better performance than Austin Butler, who is doing a very good Elvis impression in a very fun movie, and that is all fine and good, and the nomination is very valid. But to me, Brandon Fraser is doing something that almost we've never seen before, right? Because a, a, this stage play turned into a movie is fairly recently yeah. written, of course. And the degree of difficulty here, of course, involves a lot of you know uh, complicated computer graphics and things like that. But the way that he embodies it, the fact, and again, a lot of people don't think this movie works, but the fact that I do think that this movie works and this performance very much works, degree of difficulty wise, I just think it is night and day. And maybe if I say it like Elvis, they'll listen. Actors, <laughs> 500,000 actors listening to this right now, go ahead and vote for Brendan Fraser because I know what I'm doing is good, but what he's doing is fucking amazing so like i really hope that the acting body at least can can be the ones that are like actually and granted maybe it's not fraser maybe it's Farrell. maybe they feel exact exactly what i just said maybe they do they're right and they give it to Farrell. but i just think that even both those performances are just a notch above what butler's doing butler's do, look he's nailing what you need to do in that movie nailing it fine but it just calls for so much less. I mean, yeah, performing and being, you know, being sexy and dancing and having star power. It's not something everyone can do for sure. But 
Right. The other stuff with the subtleties and the acting, and it's just, I mean, that's like the thing that, come on, if you're an actor, you got to be like, all right, that's the thing. You know, hmm. I could never, ever, ever do that. Not to say I could ever do what Butler did either, but come on. You've anyway. staked your flag and then made the case. I mean, maybe I, it's I, I, I love saw it in the and... theater with him there. That's the other wow. thing about these FYC yeah. events. I will say, yeah. if you look at my ballot, it is almost a study. Because think of it this way, right? Like I told you, I only went to a few of these. I didn't go to a lot, but I went to a few. Um, and it's not rocket science, but it's like, hey, look, like I went to see the whale in, in a theater with them there talking about it after. I went to see Babylon. I went to see Knives Out. I went to see... Uh, and, and those movies are very well represented on my ballot. There's now, no doubt that that type of thing plays with critics. Yeah. There's no, absolutely no doubt. Now, granted, I watched Bones and All on my computer on a random Wednesday, and still it's all over my ballot. So I'm not like completely you know, someone you can just buy with a little bit of a, a wink and a nod and a free popcorn. But, you know, Woman King, same thing. So, you know, I will say... And, and again, Elvis is something that I watched, you know... Uh, at home on HBO Max uh, last June, and that's why it doesn't necessarily resonate with me the same way these other movies resonated with me. But for a lot of these actors and a lot of people voting, maybe the experience they had watching Elvis when it first came out, all this stuff, whatever, is almost you know more ideal than the way they're going to see the whale on a DVD at the end of January when they're under the wire and need to get their ballot in. So might be the flip reversal for them, um, which is why I actually think Ray Fiennes, in a weird way, because that movie, The Menu, which is very well liked by people who watch it, just hit HBO Max. And this is going to sound completely lazy, but it's true mm. that like being able to click on the streamer that you're, is already a part of your daily routine, whether it be Netflix or Paramount Plus or HBO Max, is to me a, like it is a little bit of a bump for a movie like a Top Gun Maverick who you can watch on Paramount Plus or a menu that you can watch on HBO Max, Banshees you can watch on HBO Max. I believe uh, everything everywhere all at once I believe is on one of them. I forget what it is. But like Babylon, The Whale, Hello, get on one of these soon because I'm telling you, there are lazy people who just putting a disc in or having to pull up a screening <laughs> link is too much for them to do. You know what I mean? Wow. Uh, why every contender is not on a mainstream streamer uh, by the time Oscars voting rolls around at the very least is beyond me. I think that by 2024, it should be mandatory. We are hitting on so many awesome points here. We got to get you out of here, Scott, because we you've been so generous of your time. But Michael, I'll, I'll throw this to you real quick. I I love this debate, and maybe I should have put it earlier so we could have featured it more in lead actor because I do think it's a three person race. This is, I mean, Mike, Mike and I haven't really thrown our hats in the ring necessarily, and I and I love you making the case for Brendan Fraser, and I'm a big fan of his performance as well. I, I like all three of these guys, but we are in fact an Austin Butler pod i guess right michael so we we would say that and i think we would give points to the star factor the fact there that he's giving us and perhaps more than rami malik he's giving us austin butler that you know that that elvis impersonation in the sense of he's giving us the movie the, the star making performance and that's why i thought gaga was so good for a star is born like you could tell she's got that it factor you could tell he's got that it factor and michael i just saw saturday night live where i couldn't believe he is performing like in the, the it's a wonderful life skit mm -hmm. he's performing the hell out of that skit and it's hilarious however he's performing like it's like he's Brendan Fraser in the whale. He's doing his face is contorting. He's he's got all the vulnerability outside that window. Gosh darn it! And I just th th you're right. This is a this is a Styles makes fights kind of one two three right now, where I think it is these three styles 
or the, maybe these two and a half styles making this this ultimate battle for for lead actor mike this is going to be an incredible matchup because you have the guy behind all the prosthetics hugely emotional you have the actor's actor's performance in colin farrell where it's all the subtleties matter and then you have the big boisterous you know, bio musical biopic where you're giving him the performance within the performance chops. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, Scott makes the the passionate case why he wants Brendan Fraser to win. You and I both want Austin Butler to win right now. And the funniest part of all of it is right now, if you were to ask me for a prediction, I think I would go Farrell. Yeah. So uh, it's it's all over the it's all over the map. Uh, you're right though. We do we do need to wrap up. And Scott's been overly generous with his time. We know we got to get him out of here. He's got another engagement. Uh, Scott. Cannot thank you enough, buddy. This is one of our favorite episodes to record of the year. And thank you for the insight. Thank you for the behind-the-scenes stuff that you did uh, for us today as far as SAG voting and SAG nominating goes. Congratulations for being picked, and hopefully those seven years go quick for you so you can get back to being a nominating because I feel like it's not rare, maybe, to say, but I feel like not enough people that are on these committees take these things as seriously as you do. So that's a, certainly a feather in your cap. Why don't you give yourself a couple shout-outs, tell everyone what's going on with Challenge Mania, where can they find your work? Yeah, so like like you said, Sally, I do have to run because I am going to be recording a podcast with the standout rookie of the Challenge Rider Dies, Horacio, and uh, shouts to him, but I can assure you I would much rather continue to talk about movies with you guys for another five <laughs> hours, so uh, maybe we can figure out uh, another way to do it, maybe at some other point in the year or something like that, because we again, uh, weekly listener, your guys' show, uh, love it, you guys are, I love that both of you combined are like totally in my wheelhouse, it's not, you know, both of you like, but combined, you are it's, it's almost like if I could put you into one person, we could have like the greatest conversation. But what's great is on the podcast, I do put you because for all intents and purposes, right now you guys That's are right. one person who just trade off. And I, you, sh- and for those who don't know and who don't have the the luxury of DMing with you guys, what's great is you share the Twitter account and you both you will you will you will put at the end of the thing who's responding, but. Again, for all intents and purposes, it's one person, and like so, it's like, and, and I legitimately do not know which one of you is the one who loves wrestling and the one who has never watched it. But it doesn't matter because it's all the same conversation. It's hilarious. Um, but yeah, if you guys do uh, like the challenge on MTV, uh, check out Challenge Mania. We're at challengemaniapodcast.com. That's where the podcast is. We have a Patreon at challengemaniacs.com. If you don't like the challenge, occasionally I do podcasts about other things. I have a wrestling show called The Heel World. Uh, do occasionally do a podcast dedicated to a specific movie or sometimes I'll talk about um, nominees going into something or like that I might do an Oscar mania podcast or Top Gun mania Batman mania things like that so you can kind of peruse the feed um Sometimes if I rarely do stumble into an interview with an actor or someone like that, like one time Paul Walter Hauser came on the show. I know he did for you guys as well. So um, you can check that all out at challengemaniapodcast.com if you want. But um, again, I really want to just shout out, because uh, I don't know when I'll be on again, some of the movie, movies we didn't get to talk about this year that I'm sure, because they're not nominated, but I'm sure people listening to this might know about them. But um, 13 Lives, it's on Amazon. Mm. In 1992 or 1994, this would have been a big theater movie. Might have even won Best <laughs> yeah. Picture. It's a crime yeah. that not a lot of people have seen it. And no one, myself included, saw it on a big screen. Uh, Vengeance, the BJ Novak movie, BJ Novak movie, loved it. RRR, All Quiet on the Western Front, haunting movie that does have subtitles, so put your phone away, but it's on Mm -hmm. Netflix. Check that out. It's a great war movie. I think it's almost better. It's as good, if not uh, not better, than 1917, if you ask me. Um, RRR, Cha-Cha Real Smooth, it's on Apple. Uh, Shouts to Scream. I know you guys loved it. I did a Scream Mania podcast. Mm, I know it feels like 14 years ago now. But uh, And here's another one. Emily the Criminal is a sleeper. 
Hour. Uh, you can watch it yeah. on Netflix. Aubrey Plaza's great in it. And Do Revenge is a movie. It is like straight, just like Riverdale style, <laughs> like high school drama, stupid campy stuff. But it was a lot of fun. Really liked it. Check it out. Uh, those are my movies I want to shout out. Uh, keep doing what you're doing, guys. Really love it. And uh, look forward to you guys having Mr. David Long on. I love hearing you guys talk about the uh, yeah. the betting odds. I don't know what's up, but I, for whatever reason, you're DraftKings in New York. They don't let you bet on this kind of stuff. So I have to live vicariously mm-hmm. through you guys out there. But um, I look forward to hearing who he predicts for a sprinkle. Uh, and uh, you guys enjoy the rest <laughs> of your week. And we'll talk soon. You too, Sounds Scott. Good, buddy. Thank you, Thanks man. a lot. Can't thank Scott enough for his time. Uh, as always, dear listener, what matters most to us are your thoughts. What do you think about these SAG nominations? What do you think about the PGA noms? How do you think those will play into the individual acting categories? And what will the SAG Ensemble nom have to say about what happens at Best Picture? You can leave us all those, as well as any other thoughts, comments, questions, or concerns you have about anything we do here in the MMO Empire. As always, on our social medias, we are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com. And on Reddit, we are available wherever you do hear podcasts if you're listening to us on either the apple podcast or spotify app if you appreciate what we do or the friends that we have on like scott who was so so gracious and so thoughtful with his input today uh if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review and then go leave scott a and challenge mania a five-star review as well those help us and him out a bunch thank you to everyone who has done so for us thus far uh michael tell the good people what's coming next let's have some words of wisdom to end on it is wise to follow Scott Yeager at Shot of Yeager on Twitter, uh, Y-A-G-E-R. Challengemania.live is where you can get tickets uh, to his national tour uh, for Challenge Mania Live. And certainly you can find Challenge Mania wherever you get your podcast. Like he said, it's wise to follow him. Give him the five stars like please uh, do for us and, and get us over that 200 number that will help us certainly uh critics choice awards that that's happening this sunday we will be doing a recap shortly after and then we'll be predicting the oscar nominations michael i think we we went down that road a bit today i think this was important as a as a study tool for us i would Uh, say study tool yeah Yeah, this is a study guide how long this i mean we went we went certainly (laughs) Very deep, and can't thank Scott enough uh, for helping us through that. I, it gave me Absolutely. a little clarity. I'll still be very wrong with all my nomination predictions, but that's fine. That's that's how we do things. You'll be right. I'll be wrong, and I'll brag about the I, ones uh, I was right about. I uh, I enjoy this process with you every year, especially this phase. <laughs> no, I'm because you do better, think, you son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I did better at the Golden Globes. I was 10 of 14, but still not good. People were better out there, and, and last year – I was on point for whatever reason. I was in the zone, and this year I'll be hilariously wrong, and everybody can just crush me. But I, I'm looking at the races this year. I think they're wide open. A lot of these are truly like you can't just. Do yeah, the it may be down thing. between like two or three right now, but those two or yeah. three, there's as, as we just discussed for the past, you know, however many absolutely. hours, it's 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 going to be fun. Going to be between them. Yeah, absolutely. There's no clear front runner in a lot of these major categories yet, and that is the fun part. Guys, when reality sucks, you can come dive deep into the sags with us and our friends. Our thanks once again to Scott Yeager. Uh, we are Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Is that how I end this? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Uh, what, when reality sucks. Making awards season Thank year you, round. God, I cannot. Without fuck, the I couldn't stuffiness. Think of our, I couldn't think of our tagline. <laughs> Jesus. Making awards season year round without the stuffiness. Or memory, apparently. We'll see you very soon. See ya.